This plan sounded a hell of a lot better when we were going by motorboat. How far is this place? Around that point. Not more than a couple hours. Oh, joy. You all right? I saw Kate. What? Last night. In the jungle. Before the last flash. Delivering Claire's baby. That was two months ago. I'm travels a bitch. Get out! Battle! I think they want their boat back! the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recap stock in season five episode four the little prince i'm josh wiggler i'm joined here by a little prince mike bloom josh it was me i'm in the other out i figured i didn't even think i i didn't even bother to ask i don't know why this has been such like a big mystery for all this time when it's very clear that it was mike bloom who was in the other outrigger I, they Damon and Carlton have tried to put my name out there, but they say like it's too obscure. But now that I've finally, because they have access to time travel, of course, and knew we'd be starting a podcast many years later about loss, they can now officially come out, say my name. Uh, I'll admit the reasoning behind it. I was shooting at Miles because he is so freaking annoying in this episode. I'm sorry, everyone else, I had to be lumped in on that outrigger, but unfortunately, uh, you know, you're sort of like, uh, you know, sideways casualties of the fact that I was just aiming for Miles in particular. Now, the sideways is a full season from now. We don't need to talk about that until we have to talk about it. Uh, but Mike, we do have to talk about. The mysterious other outrigger. The only question regarding Lost that Damon and Carlton will never answer, according to Damon and Carlton themselves. Uh, I think that this episode, if you remember The Little Prince, you remember it as the outrigger episode that you probably (laughs) remember. It's a big if, yeah. (laughs) You probably remember the outrigger before you remember the episode itself. I think that does disservice to a very solid episode of Lost. I do not 
disagree. I think the little prince is good. I mean, listen, I'm going to throw this claim out here, Josh, and I'm prepared for the fire arrows to take me. I liked watching the little prince this time around a smidge more than I liked watching Jughead. I'm not surprised to hear it because I bet like the expectations were really low. The expectations were really low. On top and the of expectations that, for Jughead were probably relatively high. Absolutely. And look, let me also say that like the difference is really negligible. Uh, we'll get to that when it comes to my own rating for this episode. I think it also comes down to maybe pref- preferences. You know, Jughead is more of, I would say, a plot-based episode. It's an exciting episode, but a plot-based episode at that. I think The Little Prince is chock-full of character stuff that I really love. I know that we heap a lot of praise onto Jughead for planting seeds, planting bombs, if you will, really foreshadowing a lot of big moments that are going to happen in season five. The Little Prince kind of does that too. This is a big episode for Sawyer. This is a big episode for Kate. This is where Locke's going to make a pretty pivotal decision as well. This is another episode where I think if you look at it on the surface, probably a little bit of a nothing burger at the time. But watching it back, this actually pivots some characters in incredibly key directions. I will also admit that maybe my own preference comes from the fact that it's not coincidental. Last week, uh, only two characters that originated back in season one were in that episode. This is a episode chock full of season one references, Josh. And my nostalgia goggles were on. Yeah. They were fogged up because I, I was so happy. This was a, ever since we heard they were doing time travel, I was like, I just can't wait for when they inevitably go back to the time that they were on the island. Are they going to encounter themselves? What's going to happen? And even though we only dote on it for a brief period of time, it, it leads to some really beautiful moments. Yeah, I agree. I think The Little Prince like falls into this category of episodes of Lost that are like extremely my shit, which is that when you have like many if not all of the Lost characters are just like kind of like moving with urgency. Uh and so like all throughout this episode, everybody is just like kind of on the go in a very stressful way. There is now this time bomb element, literally with the time travel, as uh, we have all of the people, I guess the literal time bomb is later in the season, but there <laughs> is this ticking time bomb quality to the time travel storyline where now multiple people's noses are bleeding. And now we know that that is very bad. And so like, it's really, it's surprising when Miles's nose starts to bleed. It's scary when Juliet's nose starts to bleed. You do get the, um, you know, you get like, they're trekking from like the heart of the jungle to get back to the beach so that they can circle around so that they can get to the spot a little bit faster. So there is like, you know, the, the people are on a mission quality to this mm-hmm. episode as they're tripping through time. Yet we also do have these moments where we're able to like stop down for something smaller and sentimental, like watching the birth of Aaron and to like canonize the fact that it wasn't just Claire and Kate and Jin and Charlie who were there, but Sawyer was there as well. And John Locke was almost there as well. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, uh, it's really amazing. And the, like the sense of forward momentum extends beyond the Island stuff. Like that's very prevalent in the off Island stuff too. Like people are just go, 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 going. Um, there's a, there's a huge action scene in this one where Saeed once again gets his assassin on. Um, we've got like Jack is like running to like link up with Kate. Like people are just like rushing to meet with each other. So it feels like the the trains are really, really going um, in this episode. There's um, 
There's an episode of season six. I feel like I've said this on the podcast before, but it's probably been a while. There's an episode of season six that I think like you just like don't even remember, but is one of my favorite final season episodes. And I'm actually excited to get to it when we get to it. It's the last recruit. Uh, mm. it's a, it's a, it's the one right before the candidate. Uh, and it's an episode that like I think about very fondly, both because like I got to do something really cool professionally around that episode. So I was just inclined to enjoy it a little bit more, but also because it's like sort of the last lost episode of a certain type where you just have the characters going and they're like Mm. they're coalescing and they're going and i feel like that is very much the case here in the little prince where both of these storylines you've got like everybody who's left behind they're urgent urgently rushing towards something and then all of the people that are off the island for the most part whether or not they are physically in the same place by the end of it though many of them are they are being like corralled into this spot so the stuff is going and i love that about this episode and that like that doesn't like you know even touch on just like some of like the great little bits of dialogue here and there some really great performances i think for some people kate as aaron's mom just does not land it really lands with me um and and like the performance that she gives evangeline lily in this episode the performance from josh holloway is really mesmerizing as well really i mean like i said this is a really for a foundational Sawyer episode. We've talked about the transition for a long time, and I agree that I think there is a momentum to this episode, but it's not just moving forward. To me, this is about moving on, almost, yeah. right? That Kate Off-Island is dealing with this idea of moving on. She has been one of the people to insist to Jack, I refuse to go back. We see, though, that she is still sort of haunted by what she left behind on the island, and so it's this idea of her trying to move forward while at the same time what she suspects are demons from her past are trying to haunt her. At the same time, we are experiencing this with Sawyer. Essentially, this is the episode of how Sawyer got over Kate, yeah. if I may boil it down to his storyline, is that I think in watching her again, he's going to talk about this later with Juliet, and also sort of parsing things out surprisingly through John Locke, of all people, he's going to learn to do what Jack can't do and learn to let things go, and essentially say, like, she's gone, let me move on here. It's also, we're going to get into this actually with the very first scene and first sound of this episode in a few minutes. This is actually a pretty big episode for our endgame pairings as well. It's a big Jack and Kate episode. It's a big Juliet and Sawyer episode as well. So this episode could kind of be officially subtitled like The Death of Skate as well, in that it really seems like this foundationally says Sawyer and Kate are going to go off in different directions right now. Well, it's not unlike the song. Uh, I believe the lyrics were... He was a mm. skater boy, but he said, see you later, boy. Uh, and I think we could amend that to he was a skater boy. Now he's a jater boy because uh, this is a good Jack and Kate episode. Right. I think that is there a comma <laughs> before boy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was a skater. We have to take the boy. There we go. Yeah, exactly. Well, okay. we're, listen, we're, we're going to get that line said a couple times <laughs> in this episode. Mr. Not-So-Friendly uh, in the form of Dan Norton makes his right. second appearance. We'll, we'll talk about Dan Norton. We'll talk about all of this. We're going to talk about the full episode first. Uh, hey, it's the start of a month. This is the time you've been waiting for it. This is the moment you have been waiting to become a patron of Post Show Recap. Start of the month is always the best time to sign up. You get charged by Patreon uh, as soon as you sign up. So you want to get as much of the month as you possibly can when you sign up. 
it's really early on. This is the time to sign up to get all of the amazing exclusive content that you get when you are a patron of Post Show Recaps. Especially at that $5 level, you are getting tons of podcasts, including early access to Down the Hatch, which posts in the main feed on Fridays, but posts early for patrons of Post Show Recaps on Wednesdays. You can travel through time. You can get episodes of Down the Hatch two days earlier than everybody else. On top of that, you're supporting your favorite podcast. And we know this is your favorite one. Um, of course. Uh, Listen, much like the others, we have the dossier. Uh, we we do have <laughs> access to your podcast feeds. We know that... We know uh, your this, real name. Uh, we know that this is the one that you are listening to the most. Uh, we know that like you're like, oh, man, I love Down the Hatch. I love these guys. These stupid idiots who are talking about Lost every single week. I want to support these guys making content. I want them to make more content. This is the way to do it. Support us. It's $5 a month. If you can do $5 a month, you get exclusive podcasts. If you can do $10 a month you get exclusive podcasts and you get access to the post show recaps patron discord as stefan would say the hottest place on the internet is the post show recaps patron discord join it's us got there everything it's a got casino, everything casino brand steel dungeons and dragons we're now playing uh an mmo uh the patrons of post show recaps in the discord have started playing final fantasy 14 together i'm playing it if you'd like to play uh, an online video game with me i'm around i'm available that's ten dollars a month but the podcasts are five dollars a month if you can swing it we would so appreciate it, especially as I've made this move to full-time podcasting. <laughs> I would greatly appreciate it. So that's the pitch. That just, just getting it out of the way early. Patreon.com slash recaps. You've been waiting for the time. The time is nigh. It's now. Postshowrecaps.com slash Patreon or Patreon.com slash recaps. Both of those will get you there. One last time for good measure. Patreon.com slash show recaps let's talk about the little prince mike uh it's named after the book yes le petit prince uh did you ever (laughs) oh pitch perfect right (laughs) (laughs) you don't want to support that you don't want to support mike bloom you know what Uh, actually if if if, if we get to a certain level i will i will read the little prince in that vichy accent should we do a stretch goal where if like we get 50 patrons mike will sign up to take french uh, oh, so. <laughs> okay. I'll do that. I will legitimately, Josh. You know, if I make a bet, I will go through um, it. I will a hundred and eight percent sign up to take a French class. That is hysterical. Okay, so here it is: the spontaneous goal. Uh, <laughs> if you, if if we hit five hundred and fifty patrons by the end of June, uh, Mike Bloom <laughs> will sign up. To take French class. Yes. And then I can lead Le Petit Prince. How, how, uh, <laughs> how, how, how many weeks of French class would you be willing to take? I mean, all of them. What, all this? of the weeks you'll learn the language like you're guaranteeing you're going to learn it. You're going to learn French. I mean, listen, uh, there, we, if anything has taught us this past year, right, there's no time like the present. That's what John Locke's really putting forward as well, right? Like, you have <laughs> to move forward, no looking back. I'm going to grab an opportunity by the reins, and I'm going to ride it. In this case, it might be a, a horse in the form of a new language. So, yeah, give me, like, the muzzy tapes or the duolinguo or whatever I need to do. <laughs> I'll learn French. <laughs> This is the dumbest thing. But if anyone <laughs> wants to make this happen, uh, tell your friends, tell your tell your siblings, tell your everybody. Uh, we need to teach Mike Bloom 
French. Uh, I don't know. I speak it uh, no. magnifique right, <laughs> right. now. Uh, we just were 50 patrons away from getting Mike Bloom French class. Uh, so it's a little prince. It's based off the book Le Petit Prince. <laughs> Le Mike Petit was, Prince um, uh, by Antoine de saint tell, tell us about the, the little prince in English, please. Okay, uh, thank you. Well, let me let me make sure that I <laughs> my throat doesn't give out with yeah. my French voice. Uh, oh yeah, my so god! For those that haven't read, because I do believe actually uh, it is a part of some people's curriculums uh, in the English classroom specifically, but it is a classic book originally in French, as alluded to, uh, translated into English, where essentially it's about a person who's dumb, if you've heard this before, survives a plane crash mm-hmm. and uh, befriends the titular little prince, who is a, a boy who lived on an asteroid and basically it's talking about like, oh, he was living on this planet with, I think, like a sentient rose. And he found that uh, it was inhospitable for them to live together. And he left to sort of explore the Bernard universe. also lives with a sentient rose. Yes, luckily, very sentient. Thank you, Island, to make sure that that rose does not wilt uh, anytime soon. So there are a couple connections here, right? This is the, um, the second Kate episode in a row where maybe the title's a bit nebulous. Of course, we figured out our own internal rationale for Eggtown. I don't know if we'll do that for the little prince. Is it not uh, just Aaron? Is Aaron not the little prince? So, and it's so like. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so I know that the the book uh, in the book it's he's described like the titular little prince is a young blonde haired child, but I do think there's also this idea of like uh ex- you know going out and exploring your world and and realizing that like uh, you know the a- actions speak louder than words. I think is one of the the foundational messages of the piece. It should also be mentioned that the prince lives on an asteroid whose name is the same name of the boat that was Danielle Rousseau et al. were on when oh, it sank. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. So yeah. That's a, and that's another fun thing as well, is once you know that this is going to also usher in uh, a little bit of French as well without me learning it in the form of Danielle Rousseau in the 80s, uh, it also makes like the, you know, the duality of this title a little bit fun as well. Yeah, I don't think it's a good name for the episode. Uh, like, I do think it's like, this is probably not doing the episode any favors um, that uh, it's called The Little Prince, because you just like, you don't really remember why that's called the little mm-hmm. prince uh you know like i feel like we're just like not really like hooking it on to anything i feel like you could call it the outrigger you could call it like uh i don't know you could call it jet lag you know <laughs> I, as, uh, to like hook it to what faraday says it's like really bad jet lag um like there's a there's a bunch of uh of different options here i just don't think that the little prince quite does it for me yeah, well, I think it specifically applies, though I guess, you know, we have sort of been dealing with, especially these past few episodes, like, Jughead doesn't necessarily talk about the Desmond side of things, right? Unless like, he's like Jughead. Put a crown on him. I bet he exactly. would eat tons of nothing burgers. He's our he's our queen now. Uh, but, like, this place is death. I guess can sort of refer to off-violence stuff, but I think, unfortunately, one of the disadvantages of the dual stories we have going on right now is that there isn't necessarily a title that can cover all. Maybe they're sort of alternating, right, where last week was the on-island title, now they're going with the off-island title. I agree. I don't think it's a fantastic name. I think there is more there there than people may think. 
uh, especially compared to an episode like Eggtown, but I would not herald it as one of the great uh, episode titles or even like a great Kate episode title. Yeah, for sure. All right. What about about who Kate raised? Who Kate raised? Uh, Yes. Okay. So let's, let's get into the episode proper. Uh, We begin. I do think as we discussed last week, like this is kind of the signifiers, like where does the episode start? We talked about this even as far back as the lie with Hurley. Where does the episode begin? That is like basically that's like sort of your centricity through line. This isn't quite a, a Kate episode, but Kate is very heavily involved. And yeah, I would say this is. I believe actually when they were they like did like some uh, behind the scenes taping. I believe it initially is regarded as a Kate and Sawyer episode, and much like last week, I think you could regard it as that. I mean, I do think that there is an argument that it's like it's a Jate Skate episode. Uh, like there's so much that's happening with uh with with Juliet and and Sawyer and with Jack and Kate that uh like this is sort of like one of those major major moments for these two characters uh these two sets of characters rather and the four mm-hmm. of them um all told um but it does begin with this flashback scene that I do think pins much of the emotional energy on Kate Austin uh we start off two nights after. The escape from the island. Now they're on Penny's boat. Yes, Penny's boat. Uh, and a conversation occurs between Jack and Kate. Let's listen in. Oh, you don't have to whisper. When he's out, he's out. <laughs> At least one of us can sleep. It's going to take more than two nights for me to get used to sleeping in a normal bed. What are we going to do about him? About Aaron? I don't know. Been thinking a lot about it. Did she know that Claire was flying to L.A. to give him up for adoption? No. No, I didn't. We should say he's mine. What? We could say that I was six months pregnant when I was arrested and that I gave birth to him on the island. No one would ever know. Kate, no, you don't have to... There's other ways to do this. After everyone we've lost, Michael, Jin, and Sawyer, I can't lose him too. Sawyer's not dead. No. But he's gone. Good night, Jack. Kate. If we're going to be safe, if we're going to protect the people that we left behind, tomorrow morning I'm going to have to convince everyone to lie. If it's just me, they're never going to go for it. So I'm going to turn to you first. Are you with me? I have always been with you. Except for when I was with Sawyer. 
You know, there were a few times that I was with Sawyer that I was decidedly not with you. But other than those times, like in the bear cage when you saw that, I've been with you. Yeah, I mean, there's sort of is a duality of the mind thing going on where, like, I've always, at least a part of me has been with you, but some of the more physical no, parts all, have been with Sawyer. She's always had Jack's back, is her point. Like, her point well, yeah, is, I mean, like, quite literally, the, fir- the first thing she did was sew up his back. You know, like, yes, exactly. And so, like, for, for Kate, it's like, yeah, there have been times where, like, I'm sorry, like, I don't like you the way you like me, but, like, <sighs> we have been trying to get out of this situation, and I have almost always backed your play. And, in fact, like, the times that I haven't were because you frosted me out. Uh, so I think, like, Kate, you ch- you check the record. I do think that, by and large, uh, this this holds up. Like, there are going to be holes in the resume for sure. Uh, but like vast majority, if we're doing this by like, uh, you know, percentages, I would say like 90% of lost easily, uh, up to this point, Kate has sided with Jack. And it's also a fun little signifier of, well, that's not going to be the case in the future, right? We saw this with something nice back home about how they end up splitting up. Uh, this, you know, episode is going to be about sort of the Jate coming back together in a way, right? Where despite him leaving her life for a significant portion of time, they're going to end up working together as sort of, you know, uh, unorthodox allies for a good portion of this episode. But also this whole, like, I have always been with you stuff. I don't know. It's very end gamey to me as well. I could imagine, especially with them going with the Juliet Sawyer route, that they wanted to end with Jate stuff no matter what. And this very much feels like a step in that direction uh, of Kate really, you know, telling Jack. Like, this, this to me is going to really call forward to, like, when she kisses him on the rocks, right, yeah. before he ends up dying. Like, this is very much her really stamping that approval to say, yeah, I've always got your back, no matter what. Uh, even though we're going to have some rocky roads ahead of us, it's going to be a fairly smoothed-out pavement by the end of it all. Yeah, uh, I really like this scene. One thing that I don't really care for is when Kate's like, we got to, like, after everybody that we've lost... Michael, Jin, and Sawyer. You started with Michael. Uh, yeah. Like you barely knew that Michael was on the thing. Maybe it was top of mind because she was so so shocked to just see him. I thought you would more. I think so like take- the show is like trying to like remind us that uh, like Michael and Jin blew up in the freighter, so that when Jin yeah. shows up at the end of the episode, it's a bit of a surprise. Yeah, maybe. And we we did get the callback to it and the whole entire scene play out a couple episodes ago, but that was two weeks ago. I thought you would more so take umbrage with a part of the lie that I have never been a fan with, which is her saying like, all right, uh, I think we're going to have to say that Aaron is mine in order to protect him. Because I mean, we saw this in the, uh, you know, the, the faux documentary about uh, unraveling the oceanic six conspiracy. Like there are so many holes in Kate's story of her claiming, yep, I was six months pregnant when I got arrested and went on the plane. I'm, I'm just trying to think of, like, it's obvious that, that Kate has a, a wants to protect Aaron, and I think also by proxy, like, the legacy of Claire moving forward. I'm just wondering if this was too far of a point to leap to, to say, like, okay, I'm going to protect Aaron by just completely fabricating, obfuscating Claire from the story altogether and saying that he's my son. Mm, that's interesting. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, I think that there's there's a a degree to which that's it is a fast jump. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a fast jump to like we can't give up Aaron. I'm gonna say I'm his mother. Um, 
And I think like there is like a degree to which like probably like kind of like um like she's trying she's trying to protect Claire, she's trying to protect everybody who's left behind. She cares about Aaron to the extent that she cares about Aaron. Um but I do also think that there's probably a degree to which this is like they're not going to arrest me if I'm a mom, right? <laughs> Mothers kill on the witness stand. You know, uh there there might be a little bit of that. Yeah, though I don't know up. because again, her attitude in Eggtown, right, is like I deserve penance for my crimes almost. So it's it's a, it's an interesting attitude to have. What I will say though is while your mileage may vary about the story beat to have Kate as a mother, I think Evangeline Lily really does her damnedest to sell Kate as a mother. Uh, and I mean it's going to lead to in my opinion, might be one of my favorite Kate scenes when she ends up saying goodbye to Aaron later on. Again, oh, this yes. I talk a- about that a lot. Like, I think that that is uh, Evangeline Lilly's best acting moment in the whole series. Yeah, and so this this episode is, again, really laying that foundation, the reappearance of Carol Littleton in her life and sort of like a reminder internally and externally about how he was never really yours to begin with. I just find it interesting that Kate feels like she not only has to take responsibility for the child, right? Because like, what is the foundational difference between, oh, there was this pregnant woman on board, she gave birth and then died, and then sort of, like, gave the child to me, versus, this is my kid, and nobody else on board gave birth, uh, and this kid is mine, even though you might have seen me beforehand, and I didn't definitely did not look six months pregnant, absolutely right. not. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, and Jack is like, ah, I mean, no one's really going to check. <laughs> as a doctor he's like i don't know that this is gonna work kate uh she's like trust me i got this uh all right three years later uh kate is at the hotel room with sun uh she's trying on clothes on loan from sun she looks great power mm-hmm. suit for, Aaron for is uh, eating a nice hearty breakfast of what looks like scrambled eggs it and looks, fries yeah scrambled eggs and french fries there's like a fruit salad nearby yeah, he needs he's, some help he's, with he's, the ketchup He's waving around that little tiny bottle of Heinz ketchup that I feel like was all the rage back in, like, the late 2000s. The little tiny Heinz bottle is a classic. Uh, It's a hotel classic, I feel like, is that tiny little Heinz ketchup. Uh, Yeah, and so it's a little bit of a a familiar beat, Josh, because, again, uh, a little bit of a callback to, like, season one, season two. Yes. Son is Aaron's babysitter, much like he was for a good portion of seasons two and three. Uh, I was thinking something very similar. I was thinking what what it reminded me of is when Michael dropped Walt off with Son, mm-hmm. uh, and she like teaches him like uh, like what the toothpaste of the island is. Chia! Uh, so I, I like that, but this is like a darker thing. Um, spoiler alert for the MVP LVPs, I'm giving Son an LVP this week. Uh, she's like gonna she's gonna try and assassinate Benjamin Linus. Like that's her plan. She's got a box full of chocolates and oh a God. gun. Uh, I know that I, Forrest Gump said life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're gonna get. But Sun Quan says, I know what you're going to get. You're going to get a handgun underneath the top layer of chocolate that I shall use to pursue Benjamin Linus. Mm-hmm. And I will also bring this child who I am babysitting with uh, along for the ride. Um, that is very dangerous. Some significant reckless endangerment of this child. Yeah, I mean, Forrest Gump, G-U-N-P. <laughs> <laughs> you really don't want to be a patron of Poster Recast to support these these incredible gems. <laughs> to support the best pun I've ever created, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. <laughs> That's patreon.com slash Recaps. And if you sign up 
and you say Forrest Gump. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't something know. I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll make something uh, unique and special happen for you. Uh, yeah, exactly. Sign up patreon.com slash post show recaps Forrest Gump use that to unlock something as yet to be determined maybe this front, is very, row, very, front row very, seat to Mike Bloom's French class oh yeah this is very losty though right we're saying like this is important it might mean something down the line and we will answer we'll that question we'll uh, deliver yeah, I, I never liked this the Forrest Gump of it all uh, <laughs> I loved I love Badass Son. I talked about this at the end of season yeah. four that this might be some of Yunjun Kim's best work. This seems a little too OTT for me. Maybe it's just like maybe it's a little too Jason Bourne like for me. I feel like we already have that box ticked with Sight. I don't know if we need like the chocolates for you, madam. Check at the bottom, wink wink, and it's you yeah. know this this fully loaded gun. It's it's I don't know. It's it's an odd it's an odd way to see Sun. We saw her, I think, being more of a power broker in that regard when it came to, like, the Widmore stuff. I don't know if we need her to be, like, uh, you know, undercover assassin Sun. They just moment. don't assassin. really... They don't really go... Oh, my God. They don't really... You're on fire. Uh, they, don't, <laughs> they don't really go here enough for me. Uh, so, like, you know, I think, like, they just don't quite go here enough. And so, like, Sun having the gun and then, like, bringing Aaron along, I, ju- I just don't don't love it i also did want to know um is this like does this seem like a meal that aaron at this age would be eating uh asher bloom probably about a year away from aaron at this point in the show i think so i mean asher at his age already like he loves fries he can give her he can give or take eggs depending on what the day especially the way my father-in-law makes them like very cheesy scrambled eggs so i think this makes sense for like he likes that or bread. doesn't like that? He likes it. So I okay. think that this is very much in line with like the. I was like, were you getting palette. on here and like dragging the way that your uh, father-in-law makes uh, scrambled eggs? Is that no, hilarious? absolutely not. Let's see. Yeah. I mean, this is this is not what this podcast is for. Yeah. To drag my father-in-law's cooking techniques. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I think this that's within a, a three-year-old's palate. The fruit salad, I'm not entirely. He doesn't sure seem of. to be touching it though. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it's maybe there, more yeah. more of a son thing. Though, it's knowing decorative. son, there's probably a grenade at the bottom of the fruit bowl or something <laughs> yeah for sure uh all right so kate's gonna go son gets the dossier with the pictures of ben and jack and she gets the box of chocolates uh wink wink nudge nudge um meanwhile back on the island um faraday's trying to figure out what's going on with charlotte Juliet is asking faraday some questions about uh we're just picking up immediately where we left off with jughead sawyer is like tweaking out uh mm-hmm. Juliet tells James to take a hike. Juliet with James already is excellent. Uh the so- the Sawyer and Juliet stuff is already so good, I got to say. Yeah, and I think now the relationship's going to take a different turn here where I think he's going to become vulnerable with her. We know this with Sawyer that I think he only really opens up to probably his closest confidants or like you mean something to Sawyer if if you're becoming vulnerable about these things. And yeah, this is sort of like the mood we have gotten the past since season 5 began, which is Sawyer the hothead versus uh, Mrs. Freeze herself, Juliet, uh, once married to Santa Claus in an alternate universe, uh, basically saying like, hey, take take 10. Why don't you go talk with Locke? You're going to have some very meaningful conversations. What Sawyer I doesn't say, have so- a ton of people, though, right now, right? Like, you no, know, he's they all like, let, they know, all, everything he ever loved was on that boat. You know, Charlotte's dying. Uh, Faraday is like Faraday was cagey. Get it? Because mm-hmm. Faraday cage. Uh, yeah, but also, but also Faraday is being very cagey. I will say is. something. Something I don't love about this episode is I feel like we dip a little too much into the trope of 
somebody sees or knows something and doesn't tell anybody else. Like, I'm glad we're about to get into to his explanation. I'm glad Juliet forces this explanation out of Faraday after we've had Charlotte keep asking him and he doesn't respond. Sawyer's going to be asked later, like, what did you see? He's not going to say anything for a while. Locke is going to be asked what he sees. He doesn't say anything for a while. It, it all comes out in the wash, but it, it's one of those tropes I'm not not such a big fan of. Totally. Uh, I get that. I, I absolutely get that. Um so yeah, and he's like he's got like Locke and Juliet. Those are really like he doesn't know Miles yet. If he knew Miles better, like they'd probably be able to like talk more. Um, but like he knows Locke decently well, but their relationship is always a little tenuous. But like he could talk to Locke like an adult, and Juliet is the one that he could talk to like an adult the most. Uh so like I think like just by default, uh these two people like through like you know, like trauma like trauma is what bound all of the survivors of Oceanic 815. Um, and then like this trauma within that trauma is what's binding uh, Sawyer and Juliet mm. together. Trauma um, nesting dolls. Indeed. Uh, the trauma initiative. Uh, so uh, <laughs> so uh, Locke is watching from afar. Sawyer goes and, and stands with him as Juliet now being alone with Faraday. They can like kind of talk doctor to doctor. We get to find out what's going on here. Let's take a listen. Did you know that this would happen? Thought. Thought it might. I think it's neurological. Our brains have an internal clock, a sense of time that flashes. Throw the clock off. It's like a really bad jet lag. Really bad jet lag doesn't make you hemorrhage, Daniel. You want to tell me why it isn't happening to the rest of us? I don't know. Thank God it's not. So, yeah, let's talk about this time sickness stuff. Because it officially gets, not coined, but mentioned in this conversation... And I think this is, like you mentioned before, one of the more high-stakes elements yeah. of the first part of the season that ultimately I don't think, I wouldn't say plays as well, but I think it's less high-stakes than we initially think when we find out about all this, right? Because hmm. I think the the circumstances, the assumption is, oh man, now it's a ticking clock, like everyone's going to die. At the end of the day, it re- it kills Charlotte, and this is how we find out a bit about, you know, that Miles might be from the island. But we're only a few episodes away from them being stuck in one time period. And so it's, it's, a, it's a conflict, I think, to hold us over for a few episodes. Yeah, but I don't think that that makes it bad. I think that that's actually, uh, it's actually good that... And first of all, someone does die from this. You that's know? true, uh, but it's Charlotte. Oh, come on. I mean, yeah, so it's Charlotte, but, like, somebody does die. Like, this, mm-hmm. uh, we, lo- we lose a character through these means so it's not like an empty threat uh they do carry through and i think that it it lends um it lends urgency to the mission to reach the orchid and reset the wheel quickly otherwise these people are screwed and um it is like it feels like a fast-paced thing because miles is starting to get it and then juliet is starting to get it and so that is dangerous uh that is really really scary uh who else could it possibly get as we're getting deeper into into what's going on here so i think it i think it works 
works for me. I don't think it needs to be like long term payoff for it to be a successful threat. I think it just needs to to last us a, a mini arc, which is effectively yeah. what it does. I think it like it it like it sections off this period of season five of Lost in an effective way for me. Yeah, I think you you brought up a great point that it's, you know, it's almost like in comic books, right? You have like mini arcs of three to four episodes and like a big bad within that. This is sort of the big bad of that arc is like, okay, they're dealing with now the ticking clock of this possible sickness. Let me ask on top of that, though, I guess maybe we can reserve the answer for next week when Charlotte dies. Is it cleaner to kill her off here at the beginning of this episode? Rather than have her, you know, go through this episode, and then go through next episode, and then die. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like I think it's okay to to push it a little bit further. Um, I think like if she dies here, then Faraday is a mess uh, because of where they've like sort of like put Faraday and Charlotte at this point. He is going to be a wreck once she does die. Um, so I think like right now having it that like Faraday is is very incentivized to resolve this as quickly as possible is important to like probably some degree to like put the stress on the science guy they need the science guy and if the science guy is like under duress but is also incentivized to resolve this I think that that adds to the urgency and then once it becomes clear that she's not going to make it as they're getting closer I think structurally it makes sense that he's like he can't keep going, so you're all on your own as you're a little bit closer to the goal. I think they're just a little too far away from the goal right now for Charlotte to die. All of this being said, I hate that it's like that Charlotte's imminent death is what's fueling Daniel. I think that that's weak, yeah. um, but that is the circumstance. So if like the question is like, given that, accept that as a premise that uh, Charlotte's imminent demise is what's motivating Daniel, should she die now or should she die later? I choose die later. Right, and that's the thing is that like if... There is a universe, though, where I think it's fine that she dies. He's still concerned because he's looking around at everybody being like, well, we're going to die. Uh, we're going to end up just like her. And maybe maybe then you sort of undo the I'm in the woman I'm in, I'm in love with is in this room right now. And I want to blow up the island with her. If, if you make it less about like uh, Daniel specifically working to cause Charlotte to live, though, I guess that also talks about the Teresa Spencer stuff a bit. Yes. I don't know. I, I think we'll, we'll have more time to address the situation, I think, next week once Charlotte expires. But after watching this, specifically the way Jughead ends into like how all of this begins, it just got me thinking of, OK, Charlotte's going to have sort of like a death scare now and then is actually going to kick the bucket next episode. Was that delay really needed? I think you bring up some interesting points, though, about how in terms of the plotting we weren't we weren't completely there to have her maybe die at this moment no not quite um all right let's go off island kate is gonna meet with mr norton uh who is a history teacher of mine once upon a time not this same norton uh kate's gonna go and meet with the lawyer uh and she's come to make a deal (laughs) I will say just before we play that uh-huh. you bring up the lawyer makes me think of Jurassic Park and he's about to like snatch <laughs> the this blood guy sucking off the lawyer. Turtle. Yeah. Oh my God. If only. Anyway, play it. Thank you for waiting. Did my assistant offer you something to drink? Oh, yes, I'm fine. Thank you. Good. Please, Ms. Austin, sit. So, how can I help you? Mr. Norton. When you came to my house looking for blood samples for me and my son, 
I asked you who your client was. And I said I couldn't tell you. Yeah. I'm here to offer you a deal. I'll give you the blood samples. But first, I want to talk to your client. Considering what you're asking for, that's more than reasonable. Well, I am seeing my client later today, and I will be sure to pass along your offer. But I am pretty sure what the answer is going to be. No. And the reason, of course, is that you're in no position to be making any kind of deals, and we both know it. I have a signed court order compelling you to let us confirm that you're the child's mother. I could send the sheriff over there today and make you do it, but my client insists that we handle the exchange of custody quietly. What do you mean, exchange of custody? You know exactly what I mean. No. Mr. Norton, I just want to know who is doing this to me. You did this to yourself. Now it is time you prepare yourself, Ms. Austin. You are going to lose the boy. Dan Norton sucks. Dan Norton sucks. He re- <laughs> not only does he suck, Dan Norton he, sucks. He's wrong. Yeah. So here's what I looked up, and I would love for any legal experts out there. I'm sending out like a, a hey, psychic the signal behind right the now. curtain. You know? Yeah. Let, let us know. But this is what Lostpedia says. Uh, Lostpedia says the legal situation Kate finds herself in is not actually possible. There is no provision for privacy when compelling a blood sample from anyone or for any reason. Attorney-client privileges does not extend to this. Also, if Erin were to be removed from her custody, she would have every legal right as the child's guardian, if not mother, to know the person or persons taking her child. So essentially, all this, like, uh, braggadociousness and bloviating that Norn says of like, oh, well, of course I cannot tell you who the person is. And you're not, they're not going to say it anyway. You have no case here. Is she that, does have is a that case Dan here. Norton? Is Dan, Dan, is Dan Norton like uh, one of the ogres from Fraggle Rock? That's me. I'm Dan Norton. Come on here, you, you Kate Austin Fraggle. I'm going <laughs> to eat you. Come on, Sprocket. What was the names of those guys? Oh, God. What were they? I'm staring at like a Fraggle Rock. Uh, Not the Dozers. Uh, Fraggle Rock. What were they called? Let's do a quick. Let's uh, do a quick rock. Uh, quick rock. We got the Dozers. Yeah, they, and they, these were like the human-sized Muppets for people who might remember. Uh-huh. Uh, setting. Uh, the Gorgs. Gorgs. Right? That's what it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Gorgs. Yeah. Is Dan Norton a Gorg? I mean, listen, he is monstrous in many capacities. Yeah. I hate this guy. He's Dan also, yes, he, you know, he has like a flair for the dramatic as well, right? Like, n- nobody's gonna be like, I face it, Miss Austin. Like, you're gonna give the child to us. It's so OTT. But of course, now it all makes sense that, of course, Ben Linus would hire this guy, yeah. right? Because, like, not only is he scummy, but he also can, like, play with people. And that feels right out of Ben's wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh, he was Claire Dane's dad in my so called life. He's a scumbag on the morning show. Uh, Tom Irwin is the name of the actor. Dan Norton on Lost. He's Gorg. Uh, he's a he's a bad dude. Don't like this guy. Um, all right. So that's what's going on with Dan Norton trying to just like break the law. To, yeah. To, I mean, to be fair, I mean, Kate. And maybe this is also, uh, you know, doesn't help that Kate doesn't have her lawyer present as well. Uh, Duncan's treasure chest is not uh open at the moment. Right. Because but- the lawyer would just be like, "This isn't real." Yeah, he'd be like, uh, no, 
I'm going to call BS on your argument right now, Ogre Norton. You can't Norton. do this. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's right not now that you can do. Yeah. I think Kate's falling for it a little bit right now. Like you see her eyes grow wide when Norton just mentions the idea exchange of custody. Because again, this is like, this is, if, if we're talking about the fragility of the lie falling apart, this is sort of like Kate's stakes in it, right? Yeah. Like she wanted to move forward. Aaron was sort of what she she wanted to hold on to and now she's losing possession of it the house of cards is collapsing and that is a big deal for her she uh, that match has kind of already been struck when she saw claire quote-unquote claire holding Aaron in there's no place like home but now the fuse is starting to run down a bit and that from her perspective it does seem like legitimately someone is coming for Aaron. yeah someone is coming Aaron, indeed, and she's freaked out, rightfully so. Um, back on the island, um, John Locke has come up with a plan. While he and Sawyer are still just sort of like on the outskirts, they're on the sidelines watching Faraday and Juliet with Charlotte. They get to talking, John and James, and uh, Locke brings up an idea that I think is really worth talking to as we are talking. And I don't think that we've given, like, enough credit to the fact that, like, we are talking through John Locke's final mortal arc right now. Uh, on on island specifically, too. Like, these are his what, final moments before he leaves the island forever. Like, on island, sure, of his life. He is at the end of his life right now. And we just really, I do feel like, let's stress that. This mm-hmm. is John Locke is at the end of his life right now. And we haven't really talked about it from that standpoint. And I think that John Locke is now about to talk about it from that standpoint. Let's listen in. We have to go back to the orchid. Excuse me? The orchid. That's where all this started. Maybe it's where it'll all stop. The greenhouse is a long ways away. You said you had a Zodiac raft back at the beach. We could take that, cut around the horn of the island, get the orchid in half the time. And let me guess, you know exactly what to do when we get there. Not exactly at all, but I know that Ben used it to leave the island, and if I can do the same thing, I believe I can save us. And how are you going to do that? This is all happening because they left. I think it'll stop if I can bring them back. Bring who back? Jack. Son, Saeed. Hugo. Kate. The boat blew up and that chopper was probably on it. They're not dead, James. Says who? That doesn't matter. All that matters is they've got to come back. I have to make them come back. Even if it kills me. Don't you want them to come back, James? Don't you want her to come back? Doesn't matter what I want. So, I think it bears repeating. This is a pretty big John Locke episode because I know we had some stuff with Richard Alpert and Jughead that we really liked that we talked about last week. But Josh, this episode to me is really the first time since because you left where John Locke is taking like fully digesting what Richard Alpert of the future told him. Right. Which is you have to go bring everybody back, but you're going to have to die to do it. So much has happened that like we haven't even really had a moment to process it. So like you got to like thank John Locke in this moment for like bringing it back up because you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, right. That's a big deal. He was told that he has to die. Uh, And so this is like Locke is like processing it. He is seeing the severity of the time skips. He is seeing what's going to happen to them. Literally, if they do not solve this problem, they will die 
they can't just like stand around and wait it out. They'll die. Uh, mm-hmm. time sickness is coming for them. And Locke, who's, you know, the guy who's always like waiting for signs, but is also like, uh, you know, before all this started, was ready to become the leader of the others, uh, the protector of the island. He may not be the leader of the others, but he still views himself as the protector of the island in this moment. And so he is, he is like, taking this beat to put an action plan together and it's starting to like click into place for himself where he's like, I have to die to save us. I have to leave. I'm going to, I'm I'm not going to make it. I may not make it, but I think I can save us. I think Richard Alpert was right. Uh, and he's starting to develop, you know, something akin to this plan. I think he's obviously we we're going to see it that like, he's going to try very hard not to die. And I think when yes. he, when he does die and when he's making the choice um to to end his life uh like he's like he's not doing it like uh like he's not excited about it no. to say the least he's not like uh, well i did that part of the plan check off part a part b guess i'm gonna have to die now no it's out of like pure right. misery yes. uh, about what he was not able it's not to working do, at least in the it's moment. not working it's not working is what he's thinking yeah um but like here he is in this moment he's like I will do what has to be done, and I think this is what has to be done. Uh, it is, it is like a, it is a really powerful, bold moment from John Locke. It's a great John Locke episode. He's like really dogged right now. Uh, yeah, well, and and not to mention, it's actually, it's so odd to compare, but it's almost like Locke's greatest hits, in a manner of speaking. This episode, right? He's going to be able to visit a seminal part of his life on the island, if not a seminal part of his life. He's going to have, I think, his own sort of reconciling, which we will listen to later on, of him basically reasoning with Sawyer, like, my life was shit, but it made me the person that I am today, so I'm grateful for it all the same. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a real reckoning with John Locke. He doesn't exactly know when he's going to die, but he essentially had this thick eyelash Desmond tell him you're going to have to die at some point for this to happen. Right. And so I think Locke is now finally, he doesn't know the when, he doesn't know the how, he knows the why. Right. And I think the why has, is what's been pushing John Locke this entire time, and it's going to continue to push him here. So I'm, I'm so, I really like his arc in this episode. It's small. Like you said, you, you would imagine that like on paper, if it's okay, John Locke makes the decision to leave the island and to die in the process, you would think that'd be a much bigger deal than it's probably made out to be. But I almost like its subtlety. Maybe it's just because we also have so much other John Locke bananas aspects throughout season five that I'm I'm good for a little bit of like underplayed stuff when it comes to his major decisions. Yeah, but I also think structurally this is this is good, like because like the Locke that you get or the Terry O'Quinn that you get for the for the majority of the season or like the second half of the season rather um, is like such a confident quote-unquote John Locke, um, that I think, like, you need sort of, like, Locke in his final stretch here on the island, at least, to at least appear to be this determined and this brave and this, like, decisive, because uh, that's going to, like, match who he is when he comes back, and, like, you as a viewer on first blush, you're like, oh, it worked, you know? Um, yeah. Like, it's, like, it's it's connecting those two versions of, of the character, even though we know um with the benefit of hindsight that it's a it's a different it's a different guy um it's a fake it's a fake uh so charlotte's gonna wake up she doesn't recognize daniel immediately and then she starts feeling dizzy but mostly fine they're now trying to figure out okay well what do we do and sawyer's the one who goes i'll tell you now what we're going to the orchid 
I don't know why I became Saul Drillman all of a sudden. Yeah, was, oh my god. Yeah. That's the big twist. Yeah. You come come to the orchid. I'm down here still. I'm still drilling. Come say hi. Yeah. I haven't oh, it's, left. Is this like how uh like George I Joseph Gordon Lever becomes Bruce Willis and Looper, like uh-huh. eventually Sawyer yeah. becomes Saul Drillman? Yeah, yeah. Can you believe that? Time travel. Well if you can't believe the, come on down to the orchid. I'll drill down into a pocket of time travel. I'll show you what's going on. Here's the big twist. I've been recruited to drill a hole in your head, even though you're the older me. Yeah, come on down, Sawyer. It's me, you. I'm Saul Drewman. So are you. Come on down to the orchid. I'll show you how to time travel. All right, mm. back off the <laughs> island. Uh, Jack and Saeed. Saeed has been unconscious for over 42 hours. Uh, he had three doses of tranquilizer in his system, and he is still going to be able-bodied enough to combat an assassin. Yeah, I mean, again, this is like Saeed working everything through his system. He sort of is mostly dead, uh, a la, you know, Princess Bride. He's, Jack's trying to pump him through stuff as much as possible. Uh, and they're trying to also, like, catch each other up on on what's going on. But it's going to be broken up by Dr. Ariza, the rare source of sanity here, who's pulling Jack aside and is like, you're you not can't al- be here. You're not allowed in this building, You've Jack. been suspended. Because uh, you, because you were pill popping pills and yelling about your dead dad, you've been suspended. Uh, you should not be here. Uh, and he's like, oh, sorry, uh, I don't know what to tell you. I'm but here. Sorry, sorry. Uh, so she's like, get out of here. And meanwhile, uh, we are gonna cut back. Oh, he's gonna get the call from Hurley first. Yeah, uh, he gets I, the call I, from Hurley. Hurley's like, dude, I'm in LA County lockup. It's great. See ya. I'm a little surprised that Dr. Ariza just doesn't immediately kick Jack out of the hospital, right? Uh, like, to, yeah. to, oh, you know what? I'll let you take your phone call first. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, yeah. She's reasonable, I guess, in that regard. But yeah, we get this fun little checkup on Hurley, right? Where he, uh, he threw himself willingly in front of the police at the end of the lie. Now he's in lockup. He is cool as a cucumber. And is basically like, I'm great, man. Ben's never going to get to me. So tell Saeed thanks. Yeah. Um, I, Again, like to this idea of um, uh, what I love about this episode, it's like this is like the perfect use of Hurley in this moment. So we have like Hurley fully located. We know exactly Hurley where fully Hur- loaded. You know, we know exactly where this man is. And so like he's he's a stable element throughout the rest of like he's stable in his instability. The fact that he's in prison. How do we get him out of there uh, is, you know, worth pondering. Um, but we we can account for him. And then he is used for like a great comedic chaotic effect uh where he like in the middle of all of like this this like swirling mayhem that is occurring jack gets the phone call from her like yeah i'm fine i'm in la county lockup it's great see ya and jack's like wait hurley and like then the phone call's been burned uh and so it's just it's just a great little check-in with this character like i feel like i feel like just about everybody gets a moment in this episode it's really fun yeah, and I don't think we necessarily need any more stuff, right? We don't. Like, no, like, it's perfect. Because the, the, the line was this big Hurley episode. We don't necessarily need more of him. We're going to get more of him, obviously, in the next couple episodes. So I just love this little check-in, too. It's great. Like you said, it's the instable stability of, like, this is the best they've ever felt. Also, I'm incarcerated. Yes, Bye. It's hysterical. Uh, so uh, Ben's going to show up just in time for Saeed to take down this assassin who's coming undercover as a, as a nurse. Yeah. He's so gonna- w- w- what's the deal with this? So th- did they like did Widmore like fabricate, uh, you know, a hospital ID for this guy? Has this guy just always been a nurse and was, like, undercover for that long of a time until one of the Oceanic Six came into the hospital? I don't think that we have uh, any 
we we have no ground to stand on regarding this hospital being a beacon of security uh considering <laughs> that jack was able to just like ferret saeed into here even though he's been like ruthlessly yeah, even though he's been sidelined. suspended and Correct. nobody know, like jack shepherd this imagine this guy who got suspended for substance abuse is like uh you know uh the bodyguard style hauling this unconscious man into the hospital being no like good. all right i need a bed and a bunch of adrenaline uh yeah i think saint sebastian just lets a lot of things slide here yes uh so no good no good um so he's gonna be able to to trank out this guy uh meanwhile uh ben and jack Walk inside, mistrustful of Ben, of course, uh, as they search this man's unconscious B-O-D-Y-S, I guess it's just the one, uh, they find Kate's address is in his pocket. Um, now, uh, is, th- is this just because the like Widmore is trying to round up the candidates at this point? Can we feel pretty safe that that's what's going on? Or could this have been someone that Ben hired? Right. That's the other that's the other possibility that this is a guy who is going to go and pick up Kate, uh, you know, his it has is going to pick up Saeed that Ben's plan may well be. Let me tranquilize the candidates and get them on an airplane. I mean, that's going to happen with Saeed, does it not? When it comes to 316, actually. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we're going to find out later on this episode that like Ben has machinations going on behind these seats to like almost emotionally manipulate people to get on the plane. Maybe he has the capacity to physically manipulate people as well of like, oh, we'll pretend it's from Winmore to convince Saeed that his life is in danger. And so that's why he must go back to the island. Correct. Um, So there's a lot going on. Uh, Good on Saeed, though, with uh, uh, three doses of tranquilizer in his system to take this guy down. Firm return to Saeed mode. Unfortunately, we'll only get a few more times at this, but man, is it fun. I love this shot of this guy, you know, going for the trank darts and then like turning around and he's gone. And Saeed just like completely takes him down with the, the cord around his neck. Yeah, it's good. Uh, Jack is going to call Kate. Uh, and she picks up, you know, given everything, she still picks up. And he's yeah, like, but then, but then she immediately says, like, uh, I, I wish I hadn't, but I'll meet yeah. With you. Yeah, so she's going to meet with, with Jack. Saeed and Ben are going to be paired up. We're running out of time, is what Ben tells Jack, uh, as if he is Jack Bauer, the star of 24, the focus of Worst Day Ever, a new podcast here on Post Show Recaps, where we are recapping season one of 24. Check it out. Worst Day Ever, 24 podcast happening here on Post Show Recaps. It's real. It's happening. Yeah. Um, listen, uh, we go back to 2004 in this episode, and you're going back to 2004 with... When, when did... Actually, when's 24? It's 2001. Again? 2001. 2001. Okay. Uh, even earlier. Even earlier. Um, all right. Back on the island, Sawyer and Locke are walking, talking, uh, and uh, uh, James is going to ask, John, what are you going to say to Kate to get her to come back? She was pretty excited to get out of here um meanwhile they are going to they're going to flash through time it's now nighttime Locke knows when they are uh because he sees the the desmond light beaming up from out of the hatch uh and he is like insistent he's like don't everybody get out of here nobody be yeah. here though i think this is uh they they definitely i think dramatize this after the facts i don't think the desmond spotlight was like a movie premiere spotlight, you know, that you see from miles and miles away. As as Locke said one time, it was probably just Desmond going to the bathroom. But I do love the image of it as well. And maybe this is Locke being like, uh, okay, let's avoid running into ourselves. Maybe it's just Locke saying, like, let's not deter from the mission. 
I'm not entirely sure, but he very clearly knows when when they are, and so is Sawyer in a few minutes. He's gonna he's gonna make clear why he didn't want to go there. Uh, pretty pretty soon. Why why he personally didn't want to go? Yes. There. So we'll 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 check in with that. I do think it's great that in this moment there are two John Locks. Uh, yes. And uh, we are we are getting to a place where this season is about two John Locks. So just another clue along the way of uh, of the smoke monster twist that this uh, this season is is building towards. Charlotte's headache is being distracted by her sore feet. Miles's nose is going to start bleeding. He's asked, how are you doing? And he says, I'm Peachy. I thought he was Miles, not Peachy. Uh, no. Yeah, no, that's his middle name. Miles Peachy Strom. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's his, like, that's his like, uh, nickname on the Dharma League little, ball, little, uh, little League team. Yeah. Could we get it to stick calling Miles Peachy? Listen, I'm going to call him anything because Miles is really getting on my nerves, Josh. Uh, is it happening now or is it happening later? I'm trying to figure out because like this did not stand out to me as like a really bad Miles episode. I, I think it's just like every time they cut to him, he has some wise ass remark that isn't working for me. As as Hurley talked about in season four, right? Like we already have a Sawyer to me right now. I'm starting to realize that it's feeling a little redundant for me yeah. to have, especially to have Sawyer with Miles. Like, it just feels like, you know, uh, it, it's like having, you know, version 2.0 next to version 1.0. Uh, I know that in this case, version 2.0 could arguably be better than version 1.0, but it's like, we don't need, you know, uh, we don't need to go out and get Sawyer. We already have plenty of Sawyer at home. I don't know if we necessarily need Miles, especially because Miles is still sort of in Sawyer season one mode. And we already have like the smarminess of Sawyer season five combined with all this delicious character arc that I don't know if we need a retrograde Sawyer, you know, saying all these little like one liners, being a little bit of an a-hole in these moments of like high climaticism. It just feels like it's not necessary at this moment to have both of these characters when Miles hasn't really been developed yet. And yeah, for for some strange reason, like none of his lines worked for me in this episode okay fair enough i think that that's fair uh there have uh, been times where miles has really not worked for me i've warmed up to him as a character uh but that has taken me multiple rewatches uh to to feel like good about miles as a character but i i I definitely connect with what you're saying that i think like especially because like sawyer is like of such a specific energy um and does it so so well josh holloway that like you have to like uh, you have to make some space to like uh, make room for for Miles potentially. Uh, yeah, and, and especially it just like, yet. and there is no room exactly. Like there'll be more room in the seventies when they're sort of separate and doing their things. Right now, they're part of the same group, and it's like Miles is almost like the little brother trying to take on Sawyer's mannerisms, thinking that they're cool, and it just like isn't working for me. I apologize, Jessica Lee's. Uh, but My- Miles is not working for me necessarily on this watch. I'm excited to get to later on in season five and especially season six, where I, th- I think I'm going to warm up to him a little bit more. Um, so we're not playing the sound here because I think a lot of it is like the like the crying and the screaming. But the music is so beautiful here as Sawyer uh, is going to come across Kate and Claire uh, in the jungle as Claire is giving birth to Aaron. It is it is uh, it is wild to me still that Sawyer was a witness to this uh I think just like adds to that like uh like just like the power of this moment uh mm-hmm. it's just uh it's it's great it's really 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 lovely and it's also a rare connection between on island and off island stuff too because again off island it's the the safety of Aaron is at top of mind for Kate 
And here is the birth of Aaron. It also connects back to the very first scene that we listened to when Kate reminds Jack of like, did you know that Claire wanted to give Aaron up? Claire's going to repeat this to Kate. And I'll just admit for me, like, it's just a great reminder of like that truly incredible episode that was Do No Harm and how the birth of Aaron just like absolutely made me sob when we watched it this time back. And now specifically watching Josh Holloway's reaction to this scene is so interesting because there's a lot about this, right? It's not necessarily about Claire, though I think, you know, there probably is still some residual guilt about the fact that maybe he felt like Claire got away on his watch when it was him and Miles in the middle of the jungle at the end of season four. Remember, that only happened a couple of days ago, uh, technically speaking. But I think that there is some sort of, like, proto-closure right now where he is seeing Kate. And I think for the first time in a while... This arguably happened a bit with the breakdown at the hatch door, but I think this is one of the first times that Sawyer is specifically reconciling with the loss of Kate. Yeah. With him believing, as he mentioned before, he thinks that she's gone. Whether that means gone on a chopper or probably more likely from his thinking, blown up in the freighter. And now he is seeing someone who meant so much to him and he's seeing a past version of her. And there's so much like, so many complicated emotions swirling behind his eyes, right? He's going to talk to Locke about, I'm sure he was questioning himself, like, can I go see her? He's going to tell Juliet later, like, I was close enough to touch her. And I'm sure that was a thought that really dabbled across his mind as as he was doing this. Like, not only is it the trippiness of stumbling across this big moment from the past of time travel, but also the emotional resonance of, this is someone I thought I never would see again, I do now, but can I or should I do anything about it? We, we face this actually all the time in pop culture, especially in sci-fi, right? Like, a character dies, you travel back in time, and you meet a previous version of that character. Like, do you do anything about it? Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. And I think Sawyer's going through that dilemma right now. Yeah, I think that versions of that are what's happening. Josh Holloway is such a good actor, so underrated. Uh, the way, like, when they flash back and, like, Locke comes up to him. Did you see something out here, James? Uh, and like Josh Holloway is just playing it like he's so shell shocked. Uh, like he's just like, uh, like he's just been through a, a true trauma, which he has. Uh, yeah. You know, he thinks that she's dead. He thinks that she's gone. And there she was right there. And he got to see her again. He, he saw a ghost uh, is, is not unlike what it, what, what this, what, how this plays and what this really is for James Sawyer Ford. Um, and when he says it doesn't matter, it's gone now. Uh, it's just a really, really, really powerful moment. This episode is filled with stuff like this. I think this is a stronger episode than it gets credit for. I agree. I think that there is a lot that's forgotten about it on the surface, but I think, uh, you know, you're looking at each tree in that forest and there's like some real pretty bark going on. Some very nice leaves. Forest gump. Uh, oh, no. so many forests. Forest Whitaker, Forest Gump. Oh yeah, Forest uh, Whitaker's still around. I wonder if he's hopping around time with everybody. Yes, maybe uh, he's in the other outwinger. Perhaps, perhaps. Uh, so with Jack and Kate, Jack shows up. He like goes and sits. Uh, by, like he like kneels beside Kate's window. It's a cute moment between the two of them, where Kate's like, "You shaved your beard," and he goes, "Yeah, I just needed a change." <laughs> I, I really love that line from. Yeah, I, I, Matthew Fox. It's a really uh, interesting sequence, and we're going to get into it in a little bit, where, like, Jack and Kate are almost like partners in crime here, right? Where, like, despite everything that happened with them, as Kate said, she has Jack's back, and in this case, he's going to have hers, 
where he meets up with her, where she's like staking out essentially Dan Norton's car and is like, uh, okay, you know, I'm going to drive. You better get in or like, you know, shit or get out the pot, essentially, like that blood sucking lawyer. And Jack's going to get in the driver's seat or passenger seat alongside her and like go along with her, uh, which again, I think shows at least in this moment, Jack is reciprocating what Kate told him back on the searcher. Yeah, uh, so she's gonna, she's in pursuit of the lawyer, uh, the, the blood sucking lawyer. Uh, she, she wants to know what his, uh, what his deal is. She's gonna try and follow him. She tells Jack, like, get in or get out. He's like, I'm getting in. Uh, so. Getting in. Gets, yeah, coming in. Uh, so he's gonna hop in the car, gonna get in the backseat, let Kate drive. Meanwhile, on the island, uh, another great Locke and Sawyer scene as they are going to post-mortem the most recent Flash. Let's listen in. Hey, you ready to tell me who you saw back there? I already told you, it's nothing. You and I both know when we were before the Flash, James. So who was it you saw? Charlie? Shannon? Yourself? And how is it that you knew when we were, Johnny boy? That light in the sky was from the hatch, wasn't it? The night that Boone died, I went out there and started pounding on it as hard as I could. I was confused, scared, babbling like an idiot, asking why was all this happening to me? Did you get an answer? Light came on, shot up into the sky. Time, I thought it meant something. Did it? No, it's just the light. Why'd you turn us around then? You want to go back there? Why would I want to do that? You could tell yourself to do things different. Save yourself a world of pain. No, I needed that pain. Get to where I am now. So something that was pointed out in the Jim Fells video for this episode that I really like is that underneath that scene is a much more subdued version of Locked Out Again, which is, or Locked Out, whatever the name of the song is, the, the Deus Ex Machina song. Right, right. So essentially, John Locke is reprising his moment of the light shining out of the hatch in a musical form as well. But I think it being played more mellifluously less grandiose than it did before is also a representation of like how psychologically John Locke has compartmentalized that moment, right? Where he sort of is like looking back at it almost churlishly of like, Oh, I remember back then when I thought that that was a big sign and that the island was shining a light to me. Uh, and now he's sort of saying like, Oh, how young and naive I was back then. Now I truly know what my purpose is. But I mean, again, this is a big moment for Locke, and it's also some key advice for Sawyer as well. It, it's not unlike, you know, Bernard giving Jin some some big advice in GE on, where it's like a small scene between two characters, one of whom is going to impart some advice onto the other one. In this case, it's Locke essentially telling Sawyer, like, what's done is done. Pain makes you who you are. Celebrate who you are from the experiences you've been through, no matter how crappy they may be. Right. Um... Yeah, I I mean, I feel that deeply. Uh I think that that is uh it's a very mature um wise place to operate from if you can if you can get there authentically of like that was all awful. Uh 
and it was always going to happen, or at least I can't do anything about it. It happened, but where I am now, I am on a, I'm in a, I'm in a stronger place because I endured that thing. And I, I think that there is also like, uh, there, there is another piece to that, which is like, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that any of that was okay or good. Uh, like, you know, this is not to like absolve the pain that I went through before all of that was traumatic and all of that was bad. And by the way, if I wasn't where I am now in like a place where like, I feel good about where I am now, that would also be valid, uh, because all of that was terrible and I am entitled to process this for a long period of time. But for John Locke, where he is right now is just like very determinedly, uh, moving towards a goal. Um, and he feels like, I think he feels like if he 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 is very much of the mind that everything has happened for a reason. And I think mm-hmm. for him it's even like them leaving and causing this problem happened for a reason. And me leaving here and going to bring them back is the next thing that is going to happen for a reason so that the next thing after that can happen. Like Locke is following the line. We talked about this uh you know not terribly long ago. But the, these are the tram lines, right? Like mm-hmm. this is this is you know this is him on the rails. Uh and he's following that line. He's the hunter. He's just tracking it. Um and I think for for Sawyer who his relationship with Locke uh I do think is a, is often an understated one but really a special relationship I think in the in the the lexicon of the show. Uh I love the two of them together in yeah. these moments and in this episode especially the ways in which certain characters specifically John and and Juliet are helping Sawyer like kind of like grow a little bit more in this portion of season 5. Uh I think it's I think it's really 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 lovely to behold. It's weird for me to say but I I almost find Locks attitude relatable it's it's a it's a weird thing to take because i mean listen i like many people out there have have also tried to compartmentalize like the tragedies or misfortunes that have happened in my life and try to wonder like okay was this all for some greater purpose right because that helps you i think sort of question the chaos and calamity of uh you know why do bad things happen to good people why is this happening to me again that sort of is is Locke's uh breakdown in deus ex machina right like i did everything you told me to so why is this happening to me and i think that as long as it's healthy it's all right to sort of assign yourself purpose i think the relatability for me takes maybe less from that of everything happens for a reason but more so this idea of like i am I am a compendium of my experiences. Right. You know, I yes. the way I personally compartmentalize things good and bad that have, have happened in my life is I personally look at like every single moment I experience as a learning experience of if something goes wrong, then I have learned something from it. If something good happens, I have learned something from it as well. And you sort of file it away. And I think almost like computationally, you take the, uh, the the decisions and lessons you have learned from all these various nodes, and you you sort of file them away to build who you are as a person. I am foundationally someone who has been built on a 31 years of mistakes and poor decisions and bad relationships, but also sure. the good stuff as well. And I, I think that's where I sort of see the reading of this line, too, that it's less so like, I needed that pain because... Uh, you know, everything had to lead me to this point, like you said, with the tram line. I think it could also be this idea of like that pain taught me 
certain yeah. things about life and foundationally yeah. built me yeah. as this person. Like there's experiential stuff about that as well that I, I think is so cool with a character like John Locke who has been through so much. And another great thing I like about this scene is that even though we had some connection in season four, I don't know, Josh, I got big flashbacks to the break with this yeah. Locke and Sawyer stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, there there is a, a great line in the, the TV show Justified. We dug coal together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like there is sort of this quality to Locke and Sawyer about like we both got Anthony Coopered. You know, like we both went through a very specific trauma that defined our entire lives uh, perpetrated by the same person. They have been through something that no one can relate to outside of each other. Uh, And so I think like often it leads to like a lot of like the contentiousness between uh, John and James. Um, But there's also like a degree to which like Sawyer is more um, amenable to Locke's bullshit than Jack is. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I think like he he can understand Locke in a way that Jack at least yet can't, and also in a specific way that Jack never will, and that no one else ever will, uh, as far as people that they know, um, because they were both just like ruined by this one same person. Um, so I think that like often like it gets a little hairy between the two of them, but when they're able to find some common ground, I think a lot of it is born out of like they were both. Uh, they they've both like dabbled in the devil's sandbox like they 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 dug sand together like yeah, they, no, no, they nothing but nothing but cat poop in those sandboxes by they the know way. they know what's going on there now you you're 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 out on miles but i actually really love this moment with miles um when he's walking with faraday he goes hey so i just got a nosebleed let's not freak everybody out here let's keep this quiet uh, as faraday's like initial reaction like oh shit uh, and, and miles is the one who is like I understand that this is bad. I don't need to stress out any further <laughs> than I'm currently stressed. Could you explain to me the why you think this is happening to the two of us? Uh, so I, I think it's a, a great Miles moment, which is a little bit why I'm surprised that this is the episode where like you're really not feeling it with Miles, because I think that this is one of my favorite Miles scenes to date. Uh, wow. Maybe my favorite Miles scene to date is where he's just like, hey, so I just got a nosebleed. Why? <laughs> I think I think this is a fine scene uh maybe just because when he uses the term yahoos that really calls back to sawyer in the finale i'm like you're just trying mm. to be sawyer stop trying mm. to be sawyer miles uh i don't think this is fine i mean i think the the main takeaway from this scene right is faraday planting this idea of like well nosebleeds might come from how much time you spent on the island miles where did you come from and obviously that is going to bear so much more fruit right later on but yeah i would say this is the best miles scene of of the episode i would say yeah, I don't. I don't think it's particularly close. Uh, I think it's. Uh, I. I really do think it might be my favorite mile scene so far. Um, so uh, they get back to uh, the initial Oceanic Eight One Five camp, except now it is uh, littered, literally yeah, trash, trash in the camp, Tarzan yeah, style, trash beach. Uh, th- this is uh, there's a detritus from a Jira three one six. Uh, which we will see soon, uh, a totally new airline that like Sawyer has obviously lived under a rock because he doesn't know what a Jira is, but it's apparently a major airline. Yeah, because Juliet, even Juliet, who has been on this island for three years, knows not only them, but like their big marketing pitch, right? Which is, we'll fly literally anywhere. Yeah, they fly everywhere. Uh, so they will fly literally anywhere, Ajira. They've got the water bottle, but they're back at camp. And uh, this is a, a sneak peek at the show's 
future, not just like where we will get in the in the 2007 timeline of season five, but I feel like also sort of like the trashed out beach and sort of this idea of the island as a haunted house uh, mm. takes takes more shape in season six. It is one of my it, it is really high on the list uh, of like, you know, the, the relatively short list compared to the rest of the show uh, of the things that I love in season six is this sort of haunted mansion quality about the island of like all of these rooms that used to have life that are now empty uh, and just like riddled with, uh, if not literal ghosts, though Miles might freak <laughs> out if he stays here too long, um, that definitely have that like sort of spooky energy. Uh, you know, Count Jackula would have a field day with uh, the Ajira takeover of Oceanic 815's beach. Like there's just something like, dead about this place i know that's next week this place is death yeah exactly. Um, no i agree I, it very much feels like almost like a relic too but almost like a trash relic where it's not like the pristine camp now well, it's it's, through- it's like this idea of like uh this thing that we love is almost dead yeah it's so close to death it's like just like we, we were ta- we were just like we were talking about with Locke, right yeah. it's a stark reminder of yeah we're in the end game now it's like this thing is like in a very very bad way and we are all going to have to rally very hard to fight tooth and nail to keep this thing alive um I think that the island, I think that the show does a good job of visually conveying the island in that state long before, like, the island literally starts to break apart. Um, so I, I really do appreciate that about the end game. It's one of my favorite pieces of the end game. It's just sort of like this, this, like, hollowed husk of an island, uh, that, that you get that, like, it used to be so full of life, the oceanic mm-hmm. beach. And now this place is death even though that is next week. So they see the outriggers. They're going to grab one of the outriggers. And I don't know, this is the outrigger scene. I feel like this is the time uh, to like really do the outrigger stuff where Let's they're going to, they're going to be on the outrigger. They're getting shot at shot, not shocked. Um, Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse have long said that this is the one thing about Lost that they will never explain. They may explain everything else someday, but one thing that they will never ever reveal is who was on the other outrigger because it is not, um, uh, an example of a thing that they did not have an answer to. They say that they very much do have an answer to the point that the scene was written. These are the words of Damon Lindelof. Damon Lindelof has said, uh, I believe uh, this is in an interview with uh, with Alan Sepinwall, I'm pretty sure, uh, according to the Ben Behind the Curtain. Lindelof says, when we wrote that scene and somebody started shooting at them, we knew exactly who was shooting at them. This is not a dangling thread that we don't know the answer to. But that being said, as we started talking about paying that off this season, it felt like the episode was at the service of closing the time loop as opposed to what the characters might actually be doing in that scenario. And it never felt organic. Carlton Cuse adds that the logistics of getting all the participants in the outriggers in the configuration that was on the A side of the time loop was actually really daunting. Meanwhile, uh, Jorge Garcia has been on the record as saying that a scene explaining the other half of the outrigger chase was in a script for an episode that he saw, uh, but he never found uh, the script and it never provided uh, the details. Um, so it's it's unlikely that we are ever going to get uh, like an official answer straight from Lindelof and Cuse, though there are those out there who believe there is a canonical answer Mm -hmm. to who was on the other outrigger. Um, The Complete Collection DVD provides an answer 
of sorts. Uh, and that answer is apparently that the people on the other outrigger were uh, members of the Black Rock, the slaver ship that yeah, is talking, stranded in the middle like of the jungle. Old Richard Alpert's boat. Yes, uh, that they themselves were trapped in some kind of time paradox. Uh, there is an extract that can be found in the complete collection. It comes directly from a prop that was made to represent the ledger from the Black Rock uh, from uh, Magnus Hanso uh, that Widmore bought at the auction in the Constant. This extract reads... December 18th, I think it's with a question mark, uh, an away team of six men was launched at first light in an attempt to get to the island with hopes of determining our location. Only one returned alive. He seems in a deep shock, muttering about exchanging musket fire with another vessel, which promptly disappeared in a flash of heavenly light. He went on to claim that after hours of traversing the island, his five crewmates simply jumped overboard as if lemmings, and no degree of coaxing could persuade them back into the boat. They drowned. Everyone. There will be no more away teams. Um, so this is according to like a DVD extra. And I mm -hmm. think that like you can choose whether or not, you know, your definition of canon and what matters to you and what is the official answer. Uh, that's going to that definition is going to vary from person to person. Like, I think not at all about the Valenzetti equation, as we've discussed mm -hmm. in the past. Um, well, we're we're going to get that mentioned uh, in this episode, right, with all the number stuff. You know, I wouldn't necessarily think about this as, like, this has to be the answer to the outrigger. My answer to the outrigger is that uh, we will never know, and that Damon and Carlton have said we will never know. That's good enough for me, that it's just, like, more timey-wiminess that's going on. Um, but there, this is, this is apparently, as close to an official thing as possible and it's speculated that this uh this scene that explained the other half of the outrigger chase was from abby turno um which would have been really interesting to see in the context of that episode but that episode is already packed uh yeah. so so to get there would be really hard um but mike if this is where the scene uh takes place if the other outrigger hails from the black rock do you like that do you hate it are you impartial do you care i don't really like it uh-huh i think it's just because like this time travel stuff as complex as it is as it is is rather simple to me like here are our five or six 815ers plus freighters they're jumping through time i don't know if i like the added complexity on top of that of okay, now people from the Black Rock are involved. Right. You know, like, now they're sort of on their own separate trail. I don't like convoluting that necessarily, uh, unless, like, oh, did they flash another time? But no, that would make sense, right? they take the outrigger, and then maybe they'd flash back to the time of the Black Rock where they get fired upon, and then they flash again to the 80s. Maybe that would make more sense if there was an additional flash in there. But I think the implication of, okay, now there's a crew from the Black Rock that almost is like Minkowskiing it right now. They're sort of going through their own stuff, I think is a little needlessly complicated to me. I, I think I would rather go with something that Snorri Jonsson actually suggested, which is that maybe, like, you know, simplest explanation of Occam's Razor, maybe it's, you know, Widmore's team. Maybe it's like Zoe right. and some of the mercs that got brought on. We know they're going to be in the ocean with Hydra Island. Maybe there's a chance that they ran into them, they fired upon them, uh, and so like they were able to escape them for a time being. They have another Sawyer that they get to deal with in the main timeline, but this was just sort of like, uh, oh, who are these people? Oh, let's shoot them up. Oh, they're gone. All right, well, moving on. 
Right. Uh, also, if it's the Black Rock, then those people reached the island on two outriggers, then left the island, uh, got caught in some sort of time loop. So they saw like all the Ajira detritus, right? Like because uh, there were two outriggers on the beach, right? And that, and that also brings up the question: How long have these people been in a time loop? Like, yeah. have they been hopping along since? The, did, did they go to the fifties? Did they go to two thousand seven twice? Uh, you know, it's it's really just raises more questions than it answers. So I personally am not a big fan of it. I think it would be fun, but I personally am um am of the the effort to say like let's let this lie and let's let the Abiturno stuff lie and not necessarily make the two mix with each other. And I think for me, like I'm good to like just leave this as like they'll answer this in Lost 2. You know? Yeah. Uh, like they'll put someone on another outrigger and they'll just start shooting at another outrigger and then we'll we'll but, get But the, also at the, the same time, like I'm fine if it's unanswered slash like I'm Forever. fine if it I'm fine yeah. if it is Zoe and the Mercs. Like I don't sure. want this to be a big thing. Yeah. I do think Jesse Camacho had a great theory uh that uh Jesse is up front saying like this is not my theory, one I had read online many years ago and liked very much. Uh and this was like before the final season, this had been the theory. The theory was uh, it's a rather romantic theory that at some point in season six, Sawyer would be on the other outrigger being held hostage. And then the season five outrigger appears. The people holding Sawyer captive would open fire. And season five, Juliet would return fire and actually kill the person holding Sawyer hostage, Ooh. thus saving him and setting him free. The message being that even in death, Juliet has Sawyer's back. I think that that is genius. I think that that is great. Oh, I, think I wish that, that, that would have happened. Absolutely, what should have happened. Uh, yes. like I, I, I love that theory. I think that would have been incredible. I think it would have underlined um, so many of the of the core thematics of the final season, and in return uh, of the show writ large, to have this moment where um, even though she's gone, she's not. You're never really gone. Uh, and and Juliet saving Sawyer in this moment of duress and being able to connect that because he was there. He was there when she shot. Um, it should be noted, by the way, that as they are receiving gunfire and Sawyer says, a little help here, Juliet picks up the rifle. She totally murders somebody. She does shoot one yeah. person. She gets a kill for sure. Yeah. So the question is, you know, who would that have been? Oh, I would have loved that. Even if it's just a brief period of, again, like Zoe and the gang kidnap Sawyer, he's on the outrigger, hell, kill Zoe that way, kill that Tina Fey lookalike, and just have Juliet shoot her there, and then, like, Sawyer sort of gets, like, a posthumous slash currently alive uh, nod from Juliet, and then they move forward from that, even if it results of just, like, Sawyer being knocked out again, it would have been a fun nod, I think, and especially because season six, we largely leave that time travel stuff behind Right, we're going to stay in 2007. It would have been a nice nod, I think, back to all the shenanigans going on in the first part of the season. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think that would have been great. The whole moment of, like, uh, thank you, Lord, when the flash is starting, then it's pouring rain. I take it back. It's uh, so, so funny. Good. It's yeah. so freaking yeah. good. And again, only Josh Holloway could sell it, right? Like, I love him bellowing to the moon, like, thank this you, is, Lord. This is why, Mike, It like I, I hate the Outrigger discourse because, like, it undercuts the fact that, like, the Outrigger scene ends brilliantly. Uh, that, like, it's just, it's so well done. I Like, this is my hot take. I think people make too much of a big deal out people of the People snooze on stuff. this episode, I think, for sure. Yeah, and but I think in general people are like, oh, what was in the other outrigger? I think again, it's, it's maybe this idea, this sort of a uh, lost faux pas that we often talk about about focusing on the mystery instead of the characters. That I, I know this has become a sticking point for people, but that's why I also feel like it shouldn't be revealed because whatever it's revealed as, 
is not going to meet the expectations you have in your head. I guarantee it. That's what always happens with these mystery box type of shows. That's why Lost is one of like the rare ones to succeed is because, you know, when you think, oh, what could this be? What could that be? And then you get the the reality from the writers. It almost never measures up. And so I think the more time that passes, unfortunately, the more fervor has been built behind who was in the other outrigger that if and when it's revealed, everyone's going to be like either... Oh, okay. Versus, or even like, that's not who I thought it was. That's stupid. Uh, versus like, it was just a plot point that like these two guys are, are very tongue in cheek saying we're never going to tell anyone about. We revealed so much, but we're never going to reveal what happened to the other outrigger. I, I think, I think we as a lost community need to let it go. And to your point, embrace the comedy and a little bit of action packedness that comes from whoever's firing at them. Juliet is able to keep play defense for a while. Sawyer, who was so belabored by the time jumps in episode one by episode four, is now thanking the powers that be for the time jump and then immediately regretting it when they're thrust into the middle of this torrential rainstorm. Um, On the other side of the rainstorm, we go back to the future. It's a different kind of rainstorm that's happening uh, in Los Angeles as Jack and Kate follow the lawyer to the destination. It's Claire's mother, uh, Mrs. Littleton. Let's listen in as uh, Jack and Kate are going to have a little bit of a freak out, and then Jack is going to try and, as he's wont to do, solve this situation. Wait. What am I waiting for, Jack? Wait, I just, let's just think about this for She a knows. Maybe she doesn't no, she know. She knows anything. about Aaron, and that's all that matters. Let me go talk to her. If I can just explain to her why we did it, maybe if I can get her to understand why, she'll listen to me. I can fix this, Kate. I can fix it. Aaron is my family, too. Hello, Miss Little. Um, may I come in? Of course. You were drenched. No, no, no. I'm fine. Good. I haven't seen you since your father's funeral. How did you even know I was here? Uh, I knew you were here, Miss Littleton, because I followed your lawyer. Why would you do that? I, I did it because um, I understand that you feel the need to do this. But I need you to know that everything that Kate and I have done, it was for Aaron. Who's Aaron? I, I, I'm afraid I'm not following you. Miss Littleton, um... What are you doing here in Los Angeles? This is completely separate from that uh, clip, Josh. But actually, I took the time to break out my own 
complete collection of loss. And yeah, I'm, I'm reading through the the Black Rock Manifesto right now. And perhaps something that also uh, helps the theory is that in December 16th, question mark, uh, one of the crew members is complaining about headaches. Mm. And apparently other members are as well. So again, take everything with a grain of salt, the, the canon aspects of this. But it's just a good excuse for reminding me to dip back into my Lost Complete collection, which was the, like sitting alongside me. There's a lot of cool stuff in there, for sure. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe one day we'll do like a bonus DTH, like we'll do a video, get together and like, look through lost the complete collection because there's a there's Ooh, a senate, an unboxing yeah senate board in here there's a map of the island there's a lot yeah, of really cool that. stuff that'd be great i think that would be that'd be super dope um all right back on point uh so so claire's mom is here but just because she wants to sue the shit out of oceanic she's got nothing to do with with aaron um this whole thing thing is very convoluted i do think like when you try to like tug on this like this doesn't really hold up uh for me so like this dude is ben's lawyer mm-hmm. he, he is trying to like he's just trying to psych kate out is it really that simple like this is all just like psyops is basically what's going I mean, down listen this man is an ogre he wants her out of his swamp this is the easiest way to do so through intimidation yeah um i don't know it's it's a little it's it's too cute by half i think yeah, for I think me so. all this stuff of like oh this is all i mean it's the, it's the red herring aspect right like the really underlining here's dan norton like seedily dropping by carol littleton's motel room clearly she's in on it but oh no something's happening it's actually ben all along uh, as he sort of does his Catherine hahn wink to the camera I'm i'm not a huge fan of it though i guess i think sort of like what we talked about last week about how Desmond meeting with Widmore is almost necessary to get Widmore to Los Angeles to sort of push forward the final part of the series. This is necessary to get Carol Littleton in the equation so that Kate can give away Aaron to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I guess, I suppose, uh, I think that that, that fits. That's fine. Um, I just think that this plot doesn't fully tracked like i don't i don't like ben doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who is like kind enough to be like kate will be willing to come to the island if she can be made to see that uh that carol littleton is an appropriate person to leave aaron with he doesn't give a shit like in fact no well well, i think anything like probably bringing aaron back would just like increase their odds of landing on the island well i think more so it's this idea of oh we're going to push kate to do it because She's afraid that the truth will be revealed if she stays. You know, right. like the the walls are closing around her. It's less so like, oh, Carol Littleton will be a good person to leave Aaron with. I don't know if Ben gives two craps about Aaron at the end of the day. I think he wants Kate, and I think he wants to get to Kate through Aaron, which also I think we'll talk later about Ben's also like completely giving up the goat and being like, yep, it was me. Like, yep, you saw through it, Kate. Congratulations. Uh, I'm the one who did it. And not necessarily trying to lead him her along. Maybe he felt like the jig was up at that point. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of... We talked about this, I think, even in like season three. Like, overly complicated emotional manipulation. So to that point, this does feel, unfortunately, part and parcel with Ben. What I will say, though, what I did like is the first part of that clip is the Jack and Kate conversation. Because this is like really out of that J- jack and kate relationship that we love and sometimes hate right like the two of them arguing back and forth jack being insistent of like no i'm going to fix this i'm gonna be the one to take care of this and matthew fox actually has a really beautiful pause uh right before he says aaron is my family too like this is still 
something that he's reconciling with. And it also makes you realize from Jack's perspective in this episode, it's two-pronged in that not only is he trying to fix things, again, as the requisite leader of the Oceanic Six, who's trying to keep this lie together, but also, like, he needs, he has been sitting with his own revelation that he has a sister that he didn't know about who got left behind, that he has a nephew, basically, right now. And so I, I do think that there is this surprising emotional quality that Jack brings to this scene as well of, like, there are some personal connections as well from my perspective, Kate. Right. And so I want to be able to do this. And I, I think that these are things that he has been he's been like chewing on uh like quietly and privately. Uh right. Like this is why he's been uh in uh, like in existential dread, like why he has been uh experiencing such despair. You know, the we left them behind, I failed them, all of this. Oh my god, this sister, I didn't even know she was my sister. She's still there. I have to help her. I've screwed this up. Oh, poor Aaron. Like these are all of like sort of like those um uh self-destructive thoughts that are that are going on for this guy. And now Jack finally, for the first time, with uh what appears to be a path back to the island. And he's right. It is, you know, he just has to keep walking down this path and he's going to get there. Mm-hmm. Um that with this path back to the island, uh he's finally like he's like it's not it's not coinc- like without um you know, don't mistake coincidence for fate. Like he he has uh he still feels like he's like slower in in the way that like he feels slower than he was on the island but he's like regaining that pep in his step to to an extent um when, you know when you see him like when him and Ben and Saeed are like leaving the hospital like Jack is running to his car he's speaking coherently he's cleaned up like i feel like um it's like that the island heals you type of deal is like starting to happen for him um in like physical ways um but there's also like emotionally he is able to be like more honest and vulnerable in this moment with like uh aaron's my family as well like that is like sort of like advanced jack shepherd uh and i i think obviously like it is still like couched in certain things where like he has not properly articulated to kate uh why he is aligned with benjamin linus or in fact that he is aligned with benjamin linus right now (laughs) he's sort of holding that close to the vest that's not great uh but you know i do think that we are we are seeing jack on the path toward being somebody who is um both uh he's healing we're it's in we're in a healing process for him right now not to mention the fact that jack is not shy about how he has his own tempestuous relationship with his own family And so I do think it's distinct that he says Aaron is my family, too, right? That this is the idea of family has made Jack loyal, but doesn't exactly come with positive feelings, considering his relationship with his father or even his own mother. It's an opportunity, I think, maybe for Jack to also, like, turn over a new leaf, too, of, like, I built this family on the island, and now I know of of a family that was there the entire time that I had no idea about like this is an opportunity for me to make a new start right with that family and so it, it's really therapeutic for jack in that regard as well i totally agree that this is like jack getting his groove back and it's it's this stark reminder uh in the moment that jack's gonna end up finding out in the afterlife which is when your time on the island was like the most important time of your life that you're gonna build an entire afterlife around it i think that's starting to show here where you know, as soon as Jack thinks about the idea of going back to the island, he's going to get a pep in his step 
back. He's going to jump back into that action leader mode that he was not in at the bottom of a bottle for the past three years. So, yeah, this is really like Jack putting on that old suit again, in a manner of speaking, and starting to become the man that he was when he got aboard the Searcher, but with maybe some more knowledge and some wisdom as to how, you know, you you thought you found the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, but that there wasn't gold in there. And now you realize that, like, the rainbow had some good stuff going on with it. Yeah, he's not all the way there, but he's getting there. He's he's approaching it. Um, So uh, the lawyer, uh, Claire didn't hire, uh, Claire's mom didn't hire the lawyer. So whoever's trying to take Aaron, it's not Carol Littleton. Who is it? Uh, the camera like cuts immediately to Ben, uh, which is funny. Uh, and we do find out in this scene as they meet in the clandestine parking lot where all of these dastardly deeds go down that uh, Dan Norton is Ben's lawyer. It's a funny yeah. line from Saeed, like, who is that? And Ben says, that's my lawyer. We should note the name on the side of Ben's van means uh, it reads Canton Rainier, uh, C-A-N-T-O-N space R-A-I-N-I-E-R. Mix up those letters, Josh. Pull the old Hoff's drawler. What does it spell? Reincarnation. Yes, yes. They're really trying to mess with us here. They really want us to think that John Locke is going to come back to life. And the show textually is going to engage this idea as well. But uh, uh, cleverly, I think, you know, they they know how much we love to read into so much as lost fans, especially in the era where the show is, uh, is, is ongoing uh, in the week to week that they are really playing with that idea here of like, Oh, people are going to read in everything. Hofstrahler uh, like pointed to the, to the flash forward. So now this is going to point to John Locke is going to come back from the dead. Um, but it's not that. And so like, you know, it's, is, is it playing, uh, is it playing fair or is this a cheat? Well, don't no. forget that this uh, this game was designed by three grandmasters and it cheats. Uh, <laughs> so it's only fair if this is a little bit of a cheat. At least we've been warned. Well, also, let's remember back in the season three finale when it was the same cheat method, right? Like, oh, these are flashbacks. No, wait, it's a flash forward. The show is capable of this. You know, you shame on you, shame on me, that old phrase, right? Like, you've been duped once before. If you're duped twice again and you're really mad at the creators, it's your own fault for yeah. not watching Laws and thinking, like, there might be some duplicity going on on behalf of the creators here. Hell, we just got it in this freaking past two scenes where we thought for two episodes that it was Carol Littleton who was the one that was standing Den- sticking Den- Dan Norton on Kate, and it turns out that it was Ben the entire time. It was Ben the entire—it was Ben all along, um— Back on the island, the outrigger uh, lands on the beach. They pull up uh, uh, James and Juliet. They're going to plop down, lean back against the outrigger, uh, and have a little bit of a hot to hot. Let's listen in. We didn't get a chance to finish our conversation. Conversation was that? The one before they started shooting at us. Were you about to tell me how it felt to see Kate again? I wasn't about to tell you anything. Right up, talk to her. 
this door. I love this scene. I know. Her nose is bleeding. That's what's wrong. Um, What's done is done as an episode title candidate. Ooh, what do you think? I, re- I, I really like that. You know, it's a play, what about playing with the dead, whatever dead happened, happened. Done is done. <laughs> yeah, what, whatever happened happened. What's done is done. Uh, you know, I, I like the way that they potentially intersect. I, um, I really like that. I mean, this is this is great for so many reasons because again, this is Sawyer moving on in a manner of speaking. That should be noted. Another Jim Fells note. Uh, this is, I think, the first and maybe the last major theme, musically speaking, new introduced in season five. It's sort of like a love slash moving on theme for Sawyer. Uh, it essentially represents like him trying to leave the past with Kate behind and embracing a future. In this case, Juliet, uh, you might remember this music also plays in the beginning of La Fleur when Sawyer brings that, when it's revealed that he brings the flower home to Juliet and they kiss like this is going to become a big hallmark of Sawyer and Juliet's relationship. But in this moment, it represents that Sawyer, as you vocalized, What's done is done. He has realized, much like John Locke has vocalized, there's no use changing the past. All you can do is look forward. And at this moment, no matter where or in what state Kate is, that part of his life is over and they need to move forward, especially with the growing urgency that the people around him are possibly dying due to nosebleeds. Yeah. Uh, is, is this musically connected to season six? It certainly sounds like it. A little bit. It's a, it, it sounds like it sounds like the like the moving on music. The as as people are like reconnecting in the flash sideways. Yeah, I can imagine it's, it's connected. I don't. I don't think Jim Fell's show the you know will go Dutch, but I would imagine it's at least a little connected to that. Yeah, uh, as well. Yeah, it's, it's very much the soaring strings. Very much like make an appearance here, and it's very similar themes, right? Of of looking back, but then more pertinently looking forward and moving on well i just i love the scene uh for both of the characters but i i would like to take some time to like talk about why i love it so much for juliet uh like i i just love that uh like i love the way where she's like you're gonna you were gonna tell me about uh about how close you were right you were gonna tell me what it felt like like this is like they are like she's probably starting to get a you know she she's gonna have the nosebleed is she starting to feel a little bit of like the de- the the delirium that is associated with the time sickness or is it even more simply than that like once again uh fate has lucied her uh she's charlie <laughs> brown trying to kick the thing and she was about to get off the island once again and once again she is stuck on this flipping island. Uh, and she just like wants to be like reminded of what it was like to be alive and be around love again. Yeah. So she's like, Tell me what that was like. Uh, like, I just think that that's, I think that that's really beautiful. Uh, like, I just think like it's a really like romantic moment for both of the characters, even as they are not in love with each other yet. I feel like uh, these are just both, they're two people who just really want to be loved. Uh, even if like Sawyer would never like, come out and say it you know like he just wants to be loved man and so does Juliet. uh and i think i think it's a really i think it's a really really great scene for both of the characters um you know rightfully lafleur gets a ton of credit as far as like um you know putting the final uh the final touches 
on um, making them Facebook official. Uh, <laughs> but like, I think like you don't get to Lafleur if you don't have scenes like this. You need scenes like this to make it believable that these two people would have fallen in love. Uh, and I think that this scene is really, really effective in that effort. Yeah, I should also note, uh, I was looking it up, the the season six connection on Lostpedia, and I believe Jim Fells did this as well, there's actually a surprising connection to an episode you mentioned before. This actually pops up surprisingly in The Last Recruit, uh, in the scene where Desmond's in the well and Saeed is, it looks like sure. Saeed's about to kill him. So yeah. there's some connection there, I suppose, when it comes to moving on and, and finding love. But no, it, it doesn't seem like it's specifically connected to the the moving on stuff from the end. Got it. Got it. Okay. Uh, no, no sweat. Uh, Charlotte sees all of this wreckage on the beach. Uh, does anybody speak French? Well, if we hit 550 patrons by the end of <laughs> June, Mike Bloom will embark on the journey to speak yes. French, Charlotte. I'll, I'll, I'll travel back in time and I'll answer that question for her after Mike, I fired on her in the outrigger. Mike, are we going to chronicle this adventure in podcast form? I think that would be fun if we did a little bit of like a check-in. I don't know what the word check-in is. What would we call it? Uh, I don't know. Uh, French Mike Bloom. French Mike Bloom. FMB. Yeah, French Mike Bloom, uh, I think, is what it will be called. Uh, French Mike Bloom. Uh, do you want French Mike Bloom? 550 patrons by the end of June. <laughs> and, we will, and, I, and, I will, and then I, what I will be able to do is then I'll be able to recite the next scene word yeah. for word. Yeah. What, what what will the podcast entail? Will you just like watch a lot of like uh, French media, like French movies, French TV shows? Yeah, I'm gonna uh, embark on the uh, the film background of one Gerard Depardieu. Yeah. Oh gosh. That's that's really gonna be my access point. Uh huh. Do you are, is that? Are you saying that because you believe he's the only French actor? I'm. That's, that's it, right? Like you can only elect one person You'll from find your country. Out. You'll find out. You'll find out as you embark on that journey. Patreon.com/slash/poshowrecaps. Make it happen. French Mike Bloom. Um, out on the ocean. Uh, we see Danielle Rousseau's team discover Jin. He's alive! Yeah, so this was... I mean, we, we talked about this a little bit during Gion. It was this weird thing where, like, DDK didn't do any preseason press, like he wasn't part of the marketing materials. But I do seem to recall that at least one of these previous three episodes, Josh, DDK was credited in. So I think, like, it's not exactly on the level of what they did with Harold Perrineau, but I think people assume that Jin would be back in some form. I don't love this, to be honest. I think that probably this stuff with Jin is uh, the weakest part of the episode for me, or among the weakest parts. I think the final scene I really like. I think it's this scene. This is a weird. This is a scene little anticlimactic, weird... yeah. And it's a weird placement as well. Like you could, I, I actually wrote in my notes. I'm like, you could end this the, the episode right here. Like, you could uh, very easily do, it's not as strong as the I'm a Danielle Russo thing, but you could do, like, here's a crew speaking French, you can kind of put two and two together, and the big reveal is that Jin's alive. It's not that, oh, we're with young Danielle Russo. You could very easily do that. Instead, this almost feels like a soft It's almost like they know. It's almost like they know, like, everyone knows Jin's fine. Exactly. We we screwed the pooch on that one, so let's just sort of get it out of the way. Uh, But yeah, so we have this raft in the middle of the ocean. You know, we hear a couple of names thrown around, Montand with both arms, uh, Robert, uh, and then they bring in someone. It's Jin. 
we'll talk about this in the ending. Uh, you know, this is the second time that Jin has washed uh, ashore somewhere. Uh, of course, in the beginning of season two, looks a lot worse here than he did at the beginning of season two. Well, yeah, he's been uh, not only apparently, you know, out here for days, uh, but he has also been traveling through time. You yeah. know, uh, he has been traveling through time. I don't know how long we want to say that they've been traveling through time for, even if it's like a solid day. Yeah, because you can't uh, really say like a day and a night, right? Because they'll go from you night know. to day, back yeah. to night. They haven't slept. Like they're all exhausted. Like he also got uh, like partially exploded. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, probably still it, in shock from that. Yeah, you know, he got like knocked off of a, of an exploding boat. That's how he's alive. Uh, so like he is like rightfully uh, looking a little haggard here. Poor Jin. Uh, we'll check back in with Jin at the end of the episode, which is very soon from now. This is the penultimate scene is at the marina as everybody's converging. Uh, we're converging at the marina. This is the meet the, the meeting point uh, where we are going to see Kate shows up. Jack shows up. They show up together. Uh, she wants to know why you called me. He tells her about the address in the attacker's pocket. She's like, Saeed's here. Uh, he's like, yeah, and it's not just Saeed. Ben's here, too. She's like, excuse me. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, he's going to help us go back. We're going to go back. Remember when I said we have to go back? And she's like, yeah, but this asshole's been trying to kidnap my son. She puts it together instantly. She sees it straight through Ben's bullshit. And again, I think maybe the reason why... come on. And Ben's like, yeah, no, she's absolutely correct. And I think the reason why he does that, probably a lot of reasons, right? One is that, like, he knows he's been caught, so there's no use trying to convince Jack, like, no, she's lying. I would never do that. Maybe he also had some admiration as well of, like, good on you, Kate. Good for for putting the clues together, because uh, the audience certainly didn't until up until we actually saw them in the parking garage together. Yeah, uh, I really I I dislike Ben's plan here very much. I think Ben is being very sloppy here uh, with his uh, his attempt. I'm, I'm telling to, you, it's it's very season three Ben, right? Where yeah. like he is so th- at that moment though, Ben was so on top that he thought like he could do no wrong. That he made things overly complicated. Here, maybe it's sort of like him spiraling, right? Like he's so desperate that he's making mistakes along the way. Because yeah, I mean. The, right after this scene, I think we'll see in next episode. Like Kate immediately leaves with Aaron, and it's like I'm not doing this. BS yeah, I'm not anymore. doing this. What do you think? I'm. Who do you think I am? You crazy person. Uh, so like she's rightfully going to be pretty upset about this, and she's not going to want to be involved. Um, uh, Saeed is sort of just like quietly here, just sort of like in, uh, like taking it all in. And meanwhile, it's- Sun is in a nearby car with the gun, the Forest Gump. Um, as Aaron is just like passed out uh-huh. in the back I mean, of the he car, looks like he got, looks like he got tranked. Are we sure that they're not just slipping this kid trank darts and scrambled eggs or something? I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I would suspect that that it's possible that that is exactly what's going on here. I, I love uh, that they lampshade that actually in the very first sound that we played, right? Where Kate's just like holding up the baby. She's like, "Oh no, you can talk at full volume. Like he's he can literally sleep through he anything. He can sleep through anything." Um, so I do think uh, I do think that this is this is this is bad on Sun. Uh, she's brought this this kid to a potential gunfight. Not great. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I, but maybe they had to do it because what I do enjoy is that we actually cut from Sun to Jin. I like that link. Just maybe the presence of Sun here was not worth the transition. Yeah, I think that that's probably right. All right, final scene of the episode. Uh, we're it's it's daylight now. The rain is gone. Rain, rain, go away. Uh, Jin is going to wake up with the crew. And we are going to find out who these people are with a very pointed reveal at the end of the episode and the end of this sound. Sound eight. 
Robert Eh, le signal vient de l'île. Tu crois qu'il a terminé la source Bien sûr que oui. Regarde, tu crois qu'il est habité Ça va Je sais pas. Comment tu te sens No, I understand. You speak English. Little. Are you okay? Yes. How did you get here? Boat. Qui est-ce On s'en fout qui c'est. Qu'est-ce qu'il fait ici Il dit qu'il est venu en bateau. What boat? It's gone. We'll sink. You must have been caught in the same storm as ours. Who are you? How long you in the water? I don't know. How do you not know how you wound up in the middle of the ocean, huh? Mon temps, laisse-le, il est en état de choc. On a de l'eau à lui donner. Ouais. Tiens. Merci, Robert. What is your name? Kwan Jin Su. Jin. Hello, Jin. I'm Daniel. Daniel Russo. Did somebody Slack message Jin uh, <laughs> as we were listening to yeah, that? Jin, you're traveling through time. Just want to let you know. And just like, I'm going to leave this. It's impolite to look at my messages at the moment. I'm going to no, leave this No, I just want to know if rent. I'm a psychopath who heard uh, a Slack message or if that was if that was real. I was getting Slack from the other outrigger. They just said, like, uh, mission failed. <laughs> we, couldn't get, we couldn't get the target. I'm so right. sorry, boss. A, a Slack cameo in our audio capturing process, I think, which is fantastic. Uh, I love the idea C- of someone... Cut me some Slack, okay? Yeah. We're recording this in the middle of the day. I love, I love the idea of somebody slacking Jin. And Jin's like, sorry, Danielle, I just need to respond to this. It's, what, it's my what, boss. Do you think the Slack would say 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42? And it's just my like, boss. Like, like the numbers coming out of the transmission in the radio? Just give me a minute. It's my boss. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta take this real quick. Um, yeah, so it's Danielle Russo. And so like, it's, it's exciting because like they had always promised we would find out. Uh, and so like, we kind of thought it would be the Danielle Russo flashback episode, but it is something different. Uh, it is we are going to live through Danielle's past, uh, which is a, a definitely a, a clever twist. Uh, I, so uh, I, I love real, I love this ending so much because yeah, it's great. this entire episode, right, was about doting on things that we, have seen before the, the the time period that they travel through in terms of the past with stuff that we've experienced in season one. Now this is something that we heard about, but we only we have not directly experienced, right. uh, which I feel like is a little different with stuff with Jughead. We knew that Charles Widmer was a part of it and we saw Richard Alpert, but like we had no idea there were stories about, oh, there was a bomb back on the days of the island. This we heard Danielle Rousseau in solitary talk about what happened to her crew and that's what also is make, makes us scary as well as obviously we know Jin makes it out alive but the end of the story that Daniel Rousseau says is that like everyone went crazy and killed each other 
on her science expedition. And now Jin is right in the middle of that. He is out of the frying pan and into that fire. Yes. Yes, he is. Uh, all right. So that's, that's the little prince. Um, I really, I really liked this one. Um, I liked it even a little tiny bit more than the lie, I think, as we're getting into our 4.2 stars ratings. I gave the lie a 3.6. I'm giving this just a smidge higher, a 3.7. I think it's a really underrated episode. I think like it's got that forward momentum. It's got a lot of really powerful scenes littered throughout. Um, I think it is like further reinforcing my feeling, Mike, that like, so much of Lost Season 5 kind of like hovers around this quality zone. Yeah, I, I agree. I gave this a 3.7, uh, which is a little bit above the line for me. And actually on the same level that I gave Jughead last week, though again, if you hold a, if you held a gun to my head, I would say I like The Little Prince more, just because I think for me... Do you want to little... take that stand? Feel free, man. Like, go, yeah, go wild. I, I, think, I think it's just because for me, The Little Prince contains more stuff of what I like about Lost than maybe Jughead does. Again, I think they're very strong episodes. I both gave them the same rating. Delineate I, it, Mike. If you think Little Prince is better than Jughead, you should you should say so. You should you should do that in your in your ratings. Why not? Live a right. little. Three point eight. Three point eight yeah, for Little Prince. It. Why let's not? Let's happen. go. Let's go wild. Well, I don't know if I go. I don't know if I'd go full Wiggler and give it like a three point seven one or something. You do know? what you got. Do what you got to do. You know. Uh, I think that that's the way to go. Uh, yeah. Somebody, you gotta, you I, I gotta really, live I, your truth. I really like this episode. I really like discussing it with you as well. I just, I think this is a very, like, there's so many great stuff, great things hidden in this, especially yeah. things that are going to call forward to bigger character moments on the line. Again, I think Jughead does a great job of calling forward to plot moments. This calls ahead to think a lot of big character decisions that are going to happen as immediate as the next couple weeks in the case of John Locke. So I think it actually is a really special episode uh in that regard no special with season one no and with them with the very much not alive michael Uh, it's very much on the same level with me as like a g eon is what i would compare it to where like there's some really strong character stuff going on is it perfect no there are definitely elements that i'm not a fan of but the strengths very much outweigh the weaknesses but josh i would overall say compared to our listeners you and i are pretty dang high on the little prince comparatively speaking yeah it's a 3.4 average for the the listenership that goes how low does it go how low can you go a three is as low as it goes fine like we're still in like the threes or higher like you know season five so hot right now yeah Uh, i mean so far yeah we've given like a i've given a four a 3.6 a 3.7 and a 3.8 this might be the strongest start to uh to a lost season that i have experienced so far from a ratings uh, perspective across uh the sea, the no, sea. A- across <laughs> across across these four episodes so uh, far i'm just doing a quick scan yeah, the, mike the, well, I, I mean season one we had like 4.2s and fours with walking sure, out no, of no, white no, no. rabbit that's not what I, that's not what i'm going for across these four episodes just looking at the scores from the audience um, the lowest score given for any single one of these four episodes, and I'm just doing like I'm doing the quick scan, I'm double checking, I'm looking, <laughs> um, is a 2.8 is the lowest that it goes for any episode. And that is the only score in the twos so far through four episodes of season five of Lost. Uh, that's what I'm saying is like season five is just of a quality level that is very consistent uh, yeah. as far as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, which is um, ironic considering that like we are jumping around everywhere. You'd think the quality would as well, but no, it has no. been 
incredibly solid. It's, tight. Little, it's pretty tight. You know, some of it's wonky. Like, you know, we're about to get into some of like, wait, that's how they're going to get back to the island? That doesn't really uh, stand to reason. But like, you know, like you, you put some of that on the shelf or like you are able to like kind of like wrap your arms around it and be like, all right, lost, you big weirdo. Come here. Uh, like, I think like once, once you can like get over that, like I think a lot of the plotting is really, really, really sharp. And you can tell that uh, a lot of effort went into like weaving all of this. So, so together. all that being said, 3.7 from you, 3.8 from me, 3.4 from the listeners. Averages out to 3.63. Finishes above the lie. Number three at the moment. Yes, number three at the moment. Uh, at the moment. Um, okay, before we get into some feedback and start winding down here, a quick word from our sponsors. Those are our friends over at Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Well, sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Um, Mike, let us uh, let us talk about uh, about this episode with some feedback from... The listeners. This comes our way from Dallin Servo. The great Dallin Servo writes in and says, How is it that Jin is the only survivor of the freighter explosion? And how long has Jin been floating? Mike, is it possible that other people survived the freighter explosion? I mean, if they did, uh, I think they're, they might have died for various reasons. I mean, let me go with, again, the Occam's Razor. I think the reason that Jin survived is because he had to. Is because he has to go back to the 70s and be a part of that entire Dharma crew, right? So because of the fact that he has to do that, that's why he survives the freighter explosion. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, he exists, and therefore... He exists in the 70s, and therefore he must survive here. I like to think that other people, like, survived, and, like, uh, they fought it out on this little sliver of scrap, and Jin was <laughs> the only one who made it. Oh, yeah. I mean, this would make... This was also Jin, right? The guy who threatens violence so many times. Like, I think if, if he needs to do it, he'll get scrappy and, like, slit a couple throats if need be. Yes, uh, if he if that's what he had to do. Uh, Dallin also asks, did Ben intentionally pick the same lawyer as Claire's mom or was it just a coincidence? I would expect that Ben like unleashed his lawyer on Claire's mom. Yeah, like, should, I would imagine you that should this sue is, Oceanic. You know, this is all not, part of like scrambling her, her, her brain. Do not, you know, do, do not mistake coincidence for fate. I, I do think that like the timing is also very suspect as well. Right. The Carol Littleton happens to show up here uh within the 70 hour window like i think it was this was all planning on ben's part it just becomes incredibly clear immediately yeah um daniel brennan says what the hell is ben doing at the marina with regard to kate he makes it seem like he's trying to take aaron away out of principle rather than as a ploy to bring kate back into the fold yeah daniel thank you for uh articulating that for me because yeah. what ben does with kate like really sits poorly with me as far as like i always have a plan well your plan sucks man well, even that or the tactic for Kate to be like, uh, you know, why don't you leave me and my son alone? Because he's not your son, Kate. Like, that's very much seems like negging almost to be like, here's a reminder of why you should come back with me because he's not even your stupid son to begin with, Kate. Yeah, uh, it's just not great. It's not great. Um, from Bob, Bob says, what did you think about the fact that the exchange between Jack and Claire's mom was not included in the script? Oh, I didn't know this. Could Jack have been lying to Kate about Carol Littleton's intentions? Was he working in cahoots with Ben at that moment and said the only thing that could motivate Kate to come with him to the marina? Uh, 
No, I don't that's know. Too, that's too big brain for Jack Shepard, I think. Yeah, I think at this moment, Jack is not like the criminal mastermind that Benjamin Linus is. I don't, I agree. I don't think it's within Jack's capacity. No. And Jack is also a bad liar to begin with. Like, he's yes. not going to be able to get away with that, specifically to someone like Kate, who can see right through him. Um, from Ben, Ben Martell, behind the curtain, uh, Ben says, Would you have enjoyed it if this Sawyer made an appearance and do no harm talking to Kate, and it didn't pay off until season five? Um in another world, that's cool, but like that's like not when Lost was made. Like if Lost was made now, uh, it was like a you know uh, a, like a shorter seasoned type of show. It's first of all a very different show, mm-hmm. but like you know like this is like if you're if you've got like thirty episodes across three seasons, if you're like a a certain Netflix time travel show, maybe then yeah, like that goes down. But uh, there's no world where that would have happened in season one. Um, And I think probably for me in season one, maybe this is strange to say, it almost would have been too weird. Yeah. Well, I also think just from a character perspective, like, no, I don't like this. Sorry, Ben. I, I I think the message of this is like, there is no messing with your own past. Because not only whatever happened, happened. This is more of like an emotional whatever happened, happened in this episode, right? It's like, don't affect your past because your past made you who you are. I like the fact that Sawyer doesn't do anything. Because not only does that help from a paradoxical perspective, it also just like is a symbol of a clean break and being able to move on from those ghosts, even if the ghosts themselves cannot move on. If Sawyer does end up talking to Kate, even if it shows up in season one, like that's representative of the fact that Sawyer didn't do that, and I don't like that choice. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, let's do the MVP LVPs, uh, Mike. Be- uh, got- be- before we do that, actually, I want to yeah. point out one quick thing because at the time, Josh, this episode for some reason, season five, episode four, was the beginning of a pretty big hallmark of losty uh, pop culture, you know, online only features. This was the first episode to feature a recap done in the style of Lost Untangled. Lost Untangled. Oh, the puppet show. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't start as the puppet show, though. So for those that don't know, Lost Untangled was a series of recap episodes done by ABC in a comical fashion. And the first instances of them were actually done with like comic book style, and they were done with action figures of the characters. So let, we'll actually post this in the show notes, but like the one for the Little Prince, for example, has Locke and Sawyer doing their conversation, but it's the Locke action figure and the Sawyer action figure talking to each other. I think it's in season six that we bring out the Pierre Chang puppet. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's uh, just, cool. it's, it's weird. I don't know why. You don't begin it in season five, episode one. I don't know why season five, episode four is where you choose to start it. But for for us losties at the time, this was like a, a fun little thing that I think we can still dote on to this day. All right. Let's let's do let's do the MVP LVPs. Uh, I've got three MVPs. You've got two. You've got three LVPs. I've got two. I've got two, babe. Uh I'll reveal two of mine right off the the bat. Um, one to Juliet, one to Sawyer. I think it's a great Juliet and Sawyer episode. Juliet just like handles Sawyer so well. Uh, they are like in lockstep with one another when she like gets the gun out. She's shooting on the outrigger. She's just like really good about like sending him away when he needs to be sent away and bringing him back in when he needs to open up to somebody. And for Sawyer, I think uh, this is just like this is more than anything just like a, an incredible Josh Holloway performance that I definitely want to stand up and salute so one to juliet one to sawyer uh straight out the gate from me and for that reason i'm going to give one of my mvp points to kate 
Uh, due in part to the fact that she does immediately suspect Ben, which again is a lot to put together, but good on her. But I also think Evangeline Lilly does a great job here. Uh, she's going to get to her more of her powerhouse scene later on, as we spoke about earlier. But I think, you know, this is a good, a good place for Kate as a performer, not as a character to be in. And so, you know, I rarely give kudos to Kate, apparently, according to our previous points. So allow me to, to, you know, make up for that by throwing a point onto her here in a Kate centric episode. I tossed my final point onto Jin because he's alive. Yay! He survived. That required some work. Apparently, <laughs> so, according to our canon, like a lot of bloodshed yeah. as well. Yeah, so I feel like Jin deserves a point for being alive. Yes, exactly. Uh, take come through Stephen Sondheim. I'm going to give my final MVP point to John Locke. I think the John Locke then this and next episode, like he's got a clear mission. He does a very good job sort of rallying the troops and getting everyone to work together and work forward towards this greater purpose. And so I think it's been a good streak of episodes for John Locke. Ironically enough, he lost his people, but he's starting to gain his footing again in the points. He is. That's great. Good for good for Locke. Yeah, we've got um, a five way tie for first place right now. Uh, it's Locke, Sawyer, and Juliet, who are all uh, worthy contenders for MVP, certainly of this stretch of the season, if not the whole season. Uh, and then Carmen and David Reyes are still uh, in the conversation, which is awesome. Um, all right, LVPs, you've got three. Give us a go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what you did. I'm going to give out two immediately, both going to Law & Order. I think in retrospect, I would give this and the one from the premiere to specifically Dan Norton, but I think just in general, I'm, I'm going to keep it uh, general with law and order. It's, that's easy enough to fix if you want to just switch this specifically right, let's, to let's Dan Norton. Dan I got Norton. you. One, got you back. for being an ogre, and, <laughs> and two, for not having a case that holds any water, unlike an yes. outrigger. Yes, okay. Dan Norton, you suck. You deserve all of the LVP points, but at least... Uh, you get these. Uh, you get you, these you, two here. You typed in "damn Norton" there. Damn Norton. Uh, damn Norton is almost what I did. Um, I'm as I said. I I already said this. I'm giving an LVP to Sun. Uh, the endangerment of Aaron. I just don't love. Uh, and I also just I don't. This direction for the character just never really bears fruit for me. Um, and I give my other LVP point. Maybe not a surprise given how I was talking about him earlier in the episode to Benjamin Linus. Uh, I think it's uh, I, th- I think like his whole Kate thing, like I do think like he kind of blows it here. It's not a good plan. Uh, I'm, and I guess it ends up sort of like working incidentally, right? Because maybe seeing Carol Littleton got Kate's brain ticking as to giving him up. But it wasn't his doing necessarily. I don't think he intended for Kate to follow Dan Norton to the motel to meet with Carol Littleton. And I don't think it's a surprise, though. I think there probably will be some disagreement from the other person here. I'm going to give an LVP point to Miles. I know that you said you liked that scene, but I feel like every other scene, he was annoying to me, whether it was him complaining about the paddling or like always having a remark. This is more so a I'm annoyed by this character in this episode thing. And let me also continue the trend here. Miles got so many LVP points in season four. Let's keep that train going in season five. Um, all right, Dan Norton comes close to the bottom of the barrel here in season five so far, but he's still outclassed by both Widmore and Frogert. Uh, and I don't know if Dan Norton appears again, so that may have been our only shot at Dan Norton. Uh, and we've got that five-way tie in first place. We'll see if that moves at all next week when we embark on This Place is Death! So this is the one with Rousseau's crew, right? That's like that's like the main to do mm-hmm. in this episode. There's that. There's also going to be, I believe, Charlotte certainly dies, and I believe that Locke is going to turn the wheel. 
I do um, believe as well. So this is going to be episode. our this is going to be our farewell to the John Locke's final episode on the island. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, it's uh-huh. it's a big episode in many ways. I mean, again, we're coming off a really solid stretch here in our in you know in both of our opinions. I'll be intrigued to see where this place's death lines up with us as we start to bid adieu to the first part of this season already. Yes, uh, we're already moving on. Uh, so this place's death. Uh, landing in the Down the Hatch feed on June 11th. It will be early on June 9th for the patrons of Post Show Recaps. Uh, if we haven't convinced you today to sign up, I don't know how we can. We actually do have some ideas up our sleeves, but this is a pretty good incentive. Uh, get Mike Bloom to do French Mike Bloom. He's going to learn French. He'll podcast about it. It's going to be fantastic. 550 I will, I will patrons by the end of June. For the occasion as well. Yeah, we'll figure out the, the specifics as we're developing this on the fly. Uh, French Mike Bloom, uh, 550 patrons by the end of June. Let's make this happen. Let's spread the word. Get your friends. Get your get your family. Get everybody on board. We need to right this wrong. Mike Bloom should have known French by now. Uh, it's about to happen. It's it's going to happen. We're going to make it happen. Patreon.com slash Poster Recaps. More seriously, it is the start of a month. It's the perfect time to sign up. You are going to get a lot of value out of $5 a month for that podcast feed. You will get tremendous value out of that $10. Uh, and at $15, you can get yourself uh, on the track for a Wiggler's Wombats hat or a Post Show Recaps hat, should you choose. Uh, so lots of different options. Your support means the world if you are able to support us. It's just impossible for us to overstate how much it means to us. Uh, Patreon.com slash recaps. Anything you are able to do to support the show is just tremendous. Um, get your feedback in for next week's show. Down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Send that in by June 8th if you can. Uh, you can also hit us up on Twitter at postshowrecaps. I'm at Round Howard. Mike is at a Mike Bloom type. Mike, you are uh, embarking on a uh, Another uh, islandish uh, or island adjacent adventure uh, in your podcasting as Survivor South Africa is is kicking up with a brand new season, first major new season of Survivor in quite some time, Mike. Yeah, it's interesting actually. It's very season five esque, right? We're like it's island based in that it's Survivor, but it actually, due to obvious restrictions, is taking place in the country of South Africa. So it's almost like based back in the homeland, as it were. But yeah. We're getting new Survivor on our screens, people. For the first time in over a year, Survivor South Africa is back. So will myself and Shannon Gus. At the time you're listening to this, the premiere is already out, baby. So go check that out if you're into reality TV uh, and you have been missing the show as much as we have. It's a really fun series slash part of the franchise. If you haven't embarked on it yet, love Survivor South Africa. And we've got weekly content coming your way as well. If you want to hear me talk for another couple of hours a week, for whatever reason about island-based shenanigans, I'm there. So you can also inquire with me if, if you want to find a way to watch them. We have the means. I've got my people in the outrigger to take care of it for you. Awesome. Amazing. So that's I'll slack you. The Hill Slacky. That's what Mike's got going on. So much going on on post show recaps. We did just launch the 24 podcast. Worst day ever. Uh, stressful 24 minute spoiler free recaps of 24 season one with myself and the great Emily Fox. Really fun podcast. I encourage you to listen if you loved 24. If you watched it, even if you haven't watched it and you don't plan on watching it, or if you haven't watched it and you want to check it out, uh, this is the podcast for you. I think uh, you're really going to enjoy it. It's a low commitment, a really easy listen each and every 
every week. Uh, especially if you double time it, you're done inside of 12 minutes. That's crazy. Uh, so check out that podcast. It comes out on Mondays. Uh, really, really psyched about it. We hope you enjoy it as well. Next week, this place is death, which I'm going to say exactly like that multiple times next week. I'm really, really pumped to talk about it. Season five, so lit right now, Mike. Absolutely. Lighten up. Uh, we're going to get a little smoky next week as a very, 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 very important character in the next two, you know, this season and next yes. season of Lost Josh is finally going to make his appearance. Oh, my God. All right. We will be back next week with the Smoke Monster with so much more in This Place is a Death. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye bye.